This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Hey, It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Today, it's not a sad day because he's not going anywhere. But it is finally a day where we can actually say, okay, there is a change. I, I know... There is, when you're a big personality, when you're somebody that has made change, you'll hear all the time on this program, we'll talk about how people don't like change. People don't like things to be different. I understand that and I respect that. I deal with it a lot in my life. You deal with it in your life. You don't like change. You just want everything to be the same. Why? Because it's comfortable. That's why people don't like changing jobs. They don't like changing relationships. They don't like changing cars or insurance or houses or apartments or whatever. Because change means eh, it's different. I like being comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with those feelings. That's why the average person in the United States will live within a certain mile radius of where they grew up. The average person does not fall far from the tree. You know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We're talking about kids and their parents. The average American will still live very close to where they grew up. We're two opposite guys. Yeah, we're right? we bucked that trend. We totally bucked that trend. And, and I've had to, you know, my wife, where I live in a place called, in San Jose, I live in Willow Glen, my wife grew up. Almaden Valley. She's a great, she literally is 10 minutes, well, really without lights, like a couple minutes, but, you know, she's right where she grew up. That's where most people, that's what they do. Even when they go away to college, they come back. Cody and I grew, Cody grew up just outside Pittsburgh. Correct. I grew up in San Diego, and it's still funny, people say all the time, well, you're from San Diego. I've lived my entire adult life in San Jose. You've lived here longer. Like, by a lot. Yeah. Right? But, you know, I I never move back. But most people don't. So it's like change is something you don't like. And today, 
we knew this was going to happen, but it's really worked out for the best. That Billy Bean will now be taking the role of executive vice president. Well, he was the executive vice president of baseball operations. He'll now be senior advisor to the managing general partner, which is John Fisher. So basically, Billy Bean, as a terrific business mind and baseball mind, John Fisher is understanding. This is just the way that I see it. We will have Billy Bean on the program. Let him explain it. But John Fisher knows he has this great mind that he doesn't want to say, well, go do something else. And thanks for everything. John Fisher is being smart by saying, I want Billy here. I want him around because what he's done for this organization, what he can continue to do for this organization, and what Billy can do and help John Fisher in other businesses that he's involved with. Because at some point, Billy was just not going to do this forever. Billy has a lot of interest. So by taking Billy into this new role, you keep Billy in-house, but give Billy the flexibility to do other things in his life because Billy likes change in some ways. Billy likes the comfort of being still with the A's, but likes the ability to do the other things that he likes to do. And he gives him that freedom. What changes for David Forrest? Nothing. As you're going to hear as we have all the uh, we have uh, all the sound from I don't know if you know this, but we had some calls today with both Billy Bean and David Forrest with the media and nothing changes. David Forrest, still the general manager. Now, David Forrest really doesn't have to, like, include Billy in decisions. But, you know, they have this long. I mean, they're like best friends, so it's not like. If he needs Billy, Billy's there. But now he doesn't ever need Billy's, I guess, agreement on something. He can just do it. But not really much has changed because they think alike anyway as Billy raised David in this system. You know, it all starts with Sandy. Billy was raised by Sandy. David was raised by Billy. So really what Sandy Alderson started many moons ago is just going to continue through David Forrest. And it's pretty much, you know, business as usual. But if you look at the ticker right now on MLB Network, it's going to say Billy Bean, new role with the A's. I I can't imagine where this organization would be. What would have happened if there never is a Billy Bean? Like, what would it have been if you just had some random, not big personality, not not Billy Bean? What if you just had one of these guys? I mean, there's all kinds of these. Sig Dell, Sig Dell from the Orioles. Friend of the program. Who's from San Jose. You know, he was one UC of the. UC Davis. He's a NASA guy. Former blackjack dealer. Numbers. He's assistant GM for the Orioles. They're talking he may go back to the Astros. He's one of the guys that was with the Astros as they were rebuilding. He has no personality. Like, if that guy replaced Sandy Alderson, what would have happened? you got to realize Billy Bean kept things 
in a direction of a family atmosphere. As Keith Lippman just retired after 54 years. Billy Bean didn't come in, clean house, get rid of everybody, and I'm going to do it my way. There's always been an Oakland A's way to do things. It's about family. It's about loyalty. It's about continuity. It's hard for people to go and crap on that. There's a lot of things in this organization that have been done through the years, and every single organization, that you can nitpick and find stuff that you don't like. But you cannot dispute the commitment, loyalty, family, commitment that the A's have shown to a lot of their employees for a long, long time, especially in baseball operations. Now, other departments can, whatever happens, happens. Inside baseball ops, everybody has been there forever. Forever. And that's because Sandy, Billy, to David, they've all been raised to do it this way. And it's very admirable in today's climate, in today's baseball, in today's professional sports, because that just does not happen. And it really is the one thing inside for us on the inside that to me means a lot is how they have done that. It has been like a mom-and-pop shop. But for the significance of Billy Bean, the A's have won. I do this all the – you know what? I'll do a little thing that I've done for years on the post-game show when people wanted to come in, bitch and complain, and bitch and complain. I want to remind you of something. The success under Billy Bean under – what he's had to deal with as the leader of the Oakland A's. So under Billy Bean's leadership, so he took over in 1997 uh, after the season. So he's he's the, he was, as of today, the longest-tenured baseball executive. Brian Cashman took the gig at Semantics in 98, but they both basically took over for the 98 season. Under Billy Bean, since he took over, technically in 1997, the A's have been in the playoffs 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018, 2019, and 2020. That's a lot. With all the stuff. Not having this, not having that, don't have this, don't have that. That's a lot of playoff appearances, and that's because of Billy Bean. The br- I would say seven ALS titles in there, too. The brand, relevant. Why? Because Michael Lewis said, man, this is a really interesting story. How do these guys who da- don't have all the fixings, how do they keep winning? And he showed up and he found this character called Billy Bean, and he wrote a best-selling book that – literally exploded around the world to where just not sports people were reading it, business people were reading it. It was like a business book. Which uh, which Ivy League school has a Moneyball uh, class? Isn't that Wharton, the University of Pennsylvania at Wharton? I don't know. I'm asking you. If I, I, thought it was, I thought it was Wharton that teaches. Is the, it Penn? 
Yeah. So Penn, Ivy League school, University of Pennsylvania. I mean, I know Harvard or Yale has done something on it. I mean, business schools look at the book. I thought it was Penn. I don't, I don't know if, that, if it's an easily. It's an Ivy League school. I just remember that. And then one of the biggest names on the planet wants to play Billy Bean, and that's Brad Pitt. And not only is this movie a success, the movie's up for an Academy Award, an Oscar. Pretty big deal. All that time, that kept the A's, this brand, relevant. Relevant. As much as you see behind me, the Coliseum, and I love the Coliseum. I grew up there. All the memories. This brand was becoming so irrelevant, Billy Bean's the one that kept it alive. And every year, the business is worth more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. You look at what the current ownership paid for it, what it's worth now, it would be well over a billion dollars. But it was Billy Bean who kept this brand alive. Like it or not, that's the facts. And I've been to Japan with the Oakland Athletics, and because of Billy Bean... There are a lot of fans in Japan because of Brad Pitt in the movie Moneyball. Hideki Matsui, a little bit. Remember, he didn't do a whole heck of a lot for us. That was Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. People around the world. Who are we talking to? We were talking to somebody. It was when we were honoring the uh, O2 team. It actually might have been Billy, where he was talking to this guy who was one of the uh, Ferrari race car, Ferrari racing guys, who's buddies with Billy. It might have been we, we talked to Billy about this. Guy knows nothing about baseball, but loves the A's and got to know Billy and reached out to Billy because he saw the movie Moneyball. This was global, folks, is what I'm trying to tell you. As I mentioned about change, Majority of you never leave far from home. You stay where you live. This is global. Planet Earth. Moneyball affected the planet. It was everywhere. Everybody watched the movie. The book was translated into all these different languages. People around the world read the book Moneyball. Based on what? Billy Bean. And he's ours. And I've been very fortunate. I don't talk about it all the time because then it's going to make me look like a homer. But Billy has been very good to me and my family in a lot of ways. I've known him a lot. I've known him since the 90s. And he's taking care of me. And I will always owe him for that. But when I speak about him, it's through the lens of fact and reality. I remember years ago, I was down in L.A., I was basically battling for a job to do afternoon drive on ESPN Radio Los Angeles. And they were looking for a a partner for this guy, Joe McDonald, had been there for years. So I was auditioning, and I made it to the top two. And they were the Angel Station at the time, ESPN Radio Los Angeles. And so it was an interesting time. My wife was pregnant. 
Um, you know, I'd have to move to L.A., which, God, I was like, I do not want to do that. But it was a huge opportunity for me. And I was actually on the Angels station. And I'll never forget, this was like one of my last days auditioning. I quickly called Billy and like, hey, man, I need you to come on. And I mean, he's at his height right now. Moneyball's already come out. It's Billy Bean. And, of course, he came on, did the interview. And I remember some of the people going, you know what? So what? He hasn't won a World Series. And I went, hey, listen. Okay. I'll give you that because I can't say he didn't win a World Series. But it's bigger than that. What what happened around this organization, this brand, Moneyball, the whole thing, was bigger than that. Yeah, he could have won a World Series. Yeah, it's a World Series ring. Great. And you know what You know would be happening? We'd be bitching that we haven't won a World Series since 2001, right? People be calling the postgame show, we haven't won since 2001. <laughs> Billy changed the game of baseball. We'll get into this after Eno Saris. I asked him the question today. Because we know, and I know, that all these executives that are in their 40s and in their 30s, and now these kids who are coming in and getting jobs in their 20s in baseball, and they got fancy degrees, they went to fancy colleges, they could go somewhere else initially and make more more money, but why do they want to be in baseball? Moneyball. They saw Moneyball. They read Moneyball. They were inspired by Moneyball. They were inspired by this character, Billy Bean, that made all these really smart people go, I want to do that. Because Billy Bean made being a GM an actual somebody. We talk about it all the time. Why do these GMs want to script these games? Why do they want all this control? Because they want to be the star. When a team wins the World Series, we used to say, hey, look at the manager. Look what he did. Hey, look what our star player did. No, now they want to go, hey, look at me, the front office. I built this. I created this. I'm the guy. They all want to be Billy Bean. And they all tell you. We've had multiple front office people say, well, I was inspired. They were inspired. We have people who got into journalism, who got into baseball. A guy like Eno Saris who's coming up. They got into it. Why? Why? Because of Billy Bean. Billy Bean inspired a generation of people, whether it's front office, it's media, it's whatever, to want to work in baseball. He inspired that. Now, if Michael Lewis doesn't capture it, who knows? But Michael Lewis did. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back. Still love that expression. Billy Bean inspired generations of people to want to work in baseball, not as coaches, not as not as players, but as people that work in front offices and in the media. He, what he did for this game, I hope someday somebody really does it justice. Because I don't know if all these brilliant minds, these guys are coming in with these PhDs and all these fancy degrees. I don't know if they come out. I mean, they could go to Silicon Valley and make more money. Guarantee you, Google's paying more than the Baltimore Orioles. I guarantee you, Apple's paying more than the Kansas City Royals. 
I guarantee you eBay, Amazon. I know people work for Amazon, Google. They pay way more than the Florida Marlins or the Tampa Bay Rays. But you can't be a star working there. You're not somebody. Yeah, you work in Silicon Valley. Yeah, you get a great job with Amazon up in Seattle. Make a lot of money. Have a nice house. No one knows who you are. But you run a Major League Baseball team. Everybody knows who you are. You're on television. You're on radio. You're on streaming. The fan base knows you. Everywhere you go, people know where you are. You walk into a restaurant with your wife and your family. Everybody's like, hey, that's the guy that runs the franchise. You become a star. You become somebody. You're not a somebody as a nobody engineer at Google. The only people that know you are your buddies at Google. When you run a major league franchise, like Bob Myers, take another sport. If Bob Myers was still an agent, no one would know who Bob Myers is. But Bob Myers, I don't even know what his title is now, but Bob Myers runs basketball operations for the Golden State Warriors. So Bob Myers walks around the Bay Area. Everybody knows who Bob Myers is. Because when Bob Myers is being handed the trophy for the NBA Finals, everybody sees Bob on TV. If he was an agent still, nobody would know who he is. Front office people have become stars in the game. And that really has a lot to do with Billy Bean. And we should just all be pretty thankful. Because if there was no Moneyball, there was no movie, there was no book, and there wasn't all of these wins, I, I don't know where we would be. It's not like we're in a great spot now. I can't imagine where we would be. We'd be like the Clippers of the 90s. Just totally irrelevant. President of basketball operations for Bob Myers. I don't care. Yeah, love this. But, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the reality. Turn the heater off, man. The heater's smoking. I got the heater going today here in the old studio. But a lot of I got a lot of respect for Billy Bean. And so does everybody in baseball. You know, when they came out recently with that new award for the top baseball executive, voted upon baseball executives, not the media, not the fans. Who won that award? Billy Bean. You know, all these guys that work in all these organizations, I mean, that's why I want to start getting like Dan O'Dowd, Dan Duquette back on the program. The impact that he has had on our game is immense. And you know what? Pretty smart by John Fisher. You want a mind like that to go? What he's meant to your organization? What he's meant to your brand? How much money? How much money has Billy Bean made the A's by keeping them relevant? How much money? I mean, just think about that. What this franchise owes, owes him. Yeah, Sandy Alderson, who, by the way, at one point picked pick prospects out of the magazine Baseball America for Trades. He told us this on this program down at the winter meetings. But you just think about the evolution of baseball and analytics, where the A's brand is, what the A's are worth now. I mean, Billy Bean's a part of that. And it'll be interesting to watch David Forrest as David joked. Well, yeah, Billy's now just saying the 102 losses were all on me. <laughs> but, yeah, now, now, now there's no safety net anymore for David Forrest. It's now his show, and he's earned that right. That's the reason why Billy's kept him around all these years. Other people have left. David, well, Billy wouldn't let him go. 
Things are changing, and yet they're not. It's very interesting. We, we had a question, too, from one of our listeners on YouTube. Um, he asked, seriously, Billy should be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Can execs be inducted? Yes. Executives have been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and Billy Bean will. I don't know what the criteria is when you have to be – when you have to be, I, I think I, 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 uh, I, what I don't know the criteria of when you have to be retired, when you don't. I mean, I don't know how that works. Uh, I also think Brian Sabian will go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. There, there, okay, so those are two guys. There's probably two other guys that are going to go in. Dave Dombrowski will most likely go in. And if we had to pick another, I just had uh, Theo Epstein. I think yeah. Theo goes into the oh, no question. He goes in for what he did, the curse of the Bambino, then <laughs> the Cubs. Uh, the guy just turns around organizations. Now he works as a – I think what I forget what his official role is in Major League Baseball, but he's been part of the spearheading the changes, and he was on Buster's podcast, and I started listening to it. He's a really good interview. Theo's a very good talker, very thoughtful when he answers uh, questions. So those are the four guys I think could go in. Maybe Cashman. So there are presidents and GMs can go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You got, of course, Branch Rickey, Larry McPhail, who's famous for what? Being fired after winning the World Series. And why did he do that? Because he got into a fight. Because he punched threw the reporter. A punch. Eno told us that. That's when we found out about that. Now uh, James Click was fired after winning. This, this isn't correct. This has to be old because the guy that was the Blue Jays guy got in. Oh, Pat Gillick? Pat Gillick got in. So, yes, GMs, baseball operations people can be into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Billy Bean, no question, will get in. Uh, yeah, Theo Epstein for doing that in Boston and Chicago. Brian Sabian. Uh, yeah, Dave Dombrowski now taking four different teams. 40 executives, according to the official Yeah, Hall I don't of know fame. what this was talking about. Uh, let's see, who's more modern? Not all these old guys. Happy uh, Chandler. Yeah, where were you in? Uh, Ford Frick, okay, there we go. Heard of him. Uh, Bud Fowler, okay. He was just winning recently. Pat Gillick, there you There's go. There's Gillick, yeah, that's more recent. Um Bowie Coon. Bowie Coon, yep. Uh, Larry McPhail, or Lee McPhail, and Larry. They're both in. Buck O'Neill. Uh, oh, Bud Selig. John Sherholtz. John Sherholtz, yeah. So there we go. There's some. So, yes, he can go. And Bill Veck, the former, wasn't he the White Sox? White Sox. All right. Yeah, so, so there you go. Yes, executives and baseball operations, I guess you would call them, uh, can go into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'm pretty sure – that uh, Billy Bean will be going into the – there's no question in my mind Billy Bean will be going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Speaking of that, let's hear from Billy. Do you have these in order? Yeah, all the way I have them listed on there, they're all in order. So the first one should be Billy on David Force and the, the new change in the Baseball Ops Department. Well, listen, I think this – you know, this has been uh, – well, first of all, it's a transition, I think, that over the last year or so as it relates to sort of David – uh, taking on a, a you know a greater and you know and the, and the largest role in the baseball operation, something that you know he's he's earned over uh, a 20 plus year period, being being certainly my right hand guy and a uh, an incredible uh, executive to the organization. This is a short, short transition. I think it's been on all of our minds, you know, over the last you know 12 12 months or so. Uh, you know, even the way I structured my contracts over the last couple of years, I've, I've I've gone to a rolling contract. Um, and, uh, and again, this is really as much about uh, not just me transitioning into a new role, but also David 
taking on a, a responsibility that he he's earned as, as one of the probably the top executives in the game and, and certainly in my opinion. Uh, but as far as day to day, listen, the great thing is, is, is I think I've said in the past is, you know, I'm still a member of the athletics family. I'm uh, very grateful to, to John and the, and the relationship that we forged over the, over the time since he's taken over ownership. Uh, I'll continue, uh, you know, being a, hopefully a, a, a good advisor to him going forward. And it'll also allow me to do some things. I think outside, as people know, I had some interests that have grown over the last couple of years. This will give me some freedom to also pursue some of those, uh, not, not with a baseball team, but maybe with some other things that, again, with things that I've uh, done over the course of the, the last decade or so. And I'll certainly get more involved in that. And I've, I've also got, uh, Two kids who are in high school that uh, now I can be a member of the uh, the carpool team that uh, is so badly needed driving over to Carondelet and De La Salle. Yeah, his kids are driving age. Or they're about to be driving age, so I think he'll be able to get them cars and they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's – I think right there what he said towards the end is really it allows him breathing room to do other stuff and still maintain the relationship with the A's, even though he was doing it. It's kind of tough to take on more when all of a sudden you're still the VP of baseball operations. Now that you're not the VP of baseball, you're not the VP of baseball operations. Now you're just the right-hand man for John Fisher. Now you can do a lot of different stuff, and no one's going to be going, well, why is he in Europe at a soccer tournament when it's the trading deadline or it's this or it's that? And all that's gone. It'd be like... Cody's my right-hand man, but somebody else is sitting in the seat. Well, Cody's great. Cody's this, but Cody's never here. You'd be like, well, why is Cody? So that that's all gone. Right-hand man, John Fisher, great business mind, can help John, baseball, other things. And then now it's all on David. So trading deadline, you can't say, well, we where's Billy? Let's talk to bit. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Not that. We're the Yankees, and there's 8 million people looking around and sniffing around our organization going, why have I not seen Billy in two months? <laughs> you know, that was never happening, but I think it's just for optics. You know, Billy's not going to be, you know, you don't see him a lot anymore. Like, if they're giving out a check or they're doing something, you know, there's, you know, I mean, there was talk, you know, we had him on about the O2 team. We're like, Billy, you got to be down there. Yeah, 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 and, and he ended up being down there. But it's like he is not – you haven't seen him a lot, hasn't been around. It's David's show. That time is just – over time, it's – okay, it's now time for David just to do it all. And Billy Bean to be there when people need him and his advice and obviously the stuff going on with the ballpark. John Fisher obviously has a lot of other businesses. And um, who kn- we don't even know – like that side, if Fisher ever brings Bean in on his other business, we don't know. Could be. I mean, it kind of insinuates that in the press release, but it just it, it's it's evolved to where it is today, and it, and it's a perfect time. Uh, let's go to. Let's go exactly that. You got the non-baseball business. Uh, yes, this one. All right. Well, listen, wherever John or, or Dave felt I, I, I could help, uh, I mean, listen, there's other parts of John's businesses as well that, you know, I, I, I th- certainly think that if he thinks I'm an asset, I mean, we've talked over the years, mainly because of my interest in, in soccer slash football. I mean, we talked about the quakes on a more casual basis. And, 
again, if you, you felt like I could be of assistance in anything uh, as it relates to the A's, I'm, I'm certainly here for him. So uh, there's some things I'm going to be better at than others, but uh, where I'm needed, I will certainly help all I can. So uh, again, John's got a lot of business interests beyond the A's, but, and again, around this thing out, uh, again, I'm incredibly grateful to be a part. I mean, the idea of not being a part of the A's sort of my entire life, I could never imagine that. So to be able to do something like this is, uh, again, I'm, I've had some people text me, is this a good thing? Because they weren't, you know, weren't sure. And I said, yeah, this is a good thing. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about, about my role. And I'm, again, I'm excited to see, see David sort of officially uh, get to lead the baseball operations. In some sense, he's, he's been, he's, he's been a, like, again, a, done an incredible job over the last 20 years for me. And, and now he gets the deserved recognition for some of the decisions he's going to make. Now, I also want you to think about this. You know, there is going to be a time when stadium stuff will really heat up. You're going to want the presence of of Billy Bean around, right? If there's ever a ribbon-cutting ceremony, if there's ever, you know, wherever that may be, as our president talks about parallel pass, um, wherever it may be, Billy Bean is a star of the organization. You do not want to lose that star. Uh, let's go to Billy Bean on his time all these years with the A's. Well, again, it's a little well, – I didn't realize I qualified as breaking news, so I guess I'm humbled and flattered. But, uh, uh, I mean, incredible. I mean, listen, this, this summer was interesting, too. I sort of felt like as, you know, as I was – we had the uh, 2002 reunion. Chris, I think you remember that. And it was incredible to see all the guys uh, – and in, in some sense, in that time, I think it was in August, I really had some time to reflect and really understand that some of the great players and some of the great people that have come through since I've had the opportunity to lead the operation. And also looking, you know, when they start putting lists of accomplishments for Oakland A's players, I look on, you know, when they put them on the TV or something, it's nice to see when they, you know, they list things that happen that, you know, maybe four of the five cases I've been fortunate enough to be around for that or be, be the, be the, uh, the general manager. And so it's, it's, it's humbling. Uh, I, I, I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not overly nostalgic person, but I would definitely say that I'm incredibly proud of the people that, that I've been around over the last 20 something years. And the idea, again, I, I got to also say that, Unfortunately or, or fortunately, I'll still be around in some capacity, just in sort of officially a lot less, uh, in a, a lot lesser role, and, uh, and and again one of support as opposed to you know sort of being the guy. But Chris, you've been me and you've known each other since forever, and uh, you know I've I've always hopefully tried you know I've, I've tried to you know sort of uh, keep stay grounded with everything that's gone on, and I've kept a lower profile certainly over the last ten or twelve years as much as possible. And again, now this just sort of makes it official and uh, memorializes it, uh, really. But I'll, I'll be around, whether that's good or bad. But I'll, I'll still be around, and I've got way too much A's gear in my closet to ever uh, uh, to ever do anything else. To be honest with you. Yeah, I asked him that question, and um, you know, out of, out of just total respect, and I also asked him this question. Because, I, I mean, being around it all these years and, you know, other writers want to get there. I already know I already know how the, the relationship is between David and Billy and how it works. I You know, other people were asking that. I wanted to ask a little more because I knew for this show today, selfishly, I'd want to play these. Um, you know, kind of my opening, would you call it a monologue that I did? Yeah. 
Why not? In the opening monologue, I talked about how, I mean, Billy changed baseball. He made people, as Eno said, I'm a nerd. He made being a nerd cool. He made being a nerd cool in baseball. Billy brought all these people, uh, someone like Cody, who wants to be in baseball because of Billy Bean, right? Correct, yes. Um, I mean, I read I my- mean, I just thought, I, th- I, I wouldn't say you're a nerd. I, I mean, to me, you were oozing cool, just, I mean, women all over you. I mean, you were, you, I mean, you were the player of players. So I wouldn't put you in the nerd cool in baseball. I have a very extensive dating history. So that's that's what you have multiple marriages. I dated two women in my life and I married both. Great idea. Great (laughs) idea. So there you go. But yes, uh, I read Moneyball. I was a fan of the A's when I was a kid because I loved Giambi and Tejada and Zito and Hudson and Mulder watching from afar because they were interesting. And then you learn more about what Billy did with Moneyball and you read the book. And then I wrote a couple of papers in college and sports com about Moneyball and what Billy's meant to baseball. And I used to argue with people and they're like, well, he hasn't won. Okay, but look what teams like Tampa are doing. This is 10 years ago. Look at teams like Tampa are doing, spending the money, and, and they're trying to find the inefficient market inefficiencies in players. And, yeah, Billy for sure has been a huge reason why I got into baseball. Then just seeing him around in the office is, is a treat every, time, every once in a while when I do see him in the office. So because of that, I asked him about all the new executives and how all these new executives always attribute that, you know, some of their success – and why they got into the business because of him. Well, I first and foremost, I had the opportunity to be hired by sort of the guy at the top of this, and that was Sandy Alderson. So I'm incredibly grateful for him and the owners that I've worked for that gave me that opportunity. But secondly, I said this last week at the gym meetings, uh, was that uh, I'm glad I started 25 years ago because the group of guys that are now running teams now, I'm not sure I would have lasted 25 years because it's such an incredibly bright and you know, just an amazing group of executives now. And I am proud that that's where we are now. It's, it's more dynamic, it's more diverse. There's, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Kim Ng is running the club, a University of Chicago graduate. And the great thing is, is I think the game in some sense, executive position has become a meritocracy. You know, the best and the brightest are, are getting these jobs. And I don't necessarily, and I think that's great. And, and I've, I've said this many times before, and, you know, 10 years I won't be able to apply for this job. And I think that's the, the progress we've made and there's still a lot of progress that we continue to need to continue to make but there's uh it's a it's an amazing group of smart executives not just at the top of the baseball operations but all the way down and I'm, again if i've had any part in that i'm, I'm, I'm humbled and, and i'm grateful that uh I, I could be a part of that but uh it is an impressive group that's for sure and you know we got we got some right here in oakland and, and david and dan and, and pike and david jackson and Haley alvarez and i go on and on and Billy Owens and of course Bo, my other right hand guy for the last twenty years. Listen to that. All those years that the the same people in baseball operations, year after year after year, load that up because I asked this question too. This was my last question to him. It was about continuity, loyalty. It's been a hallmark of the A's. I don't think it's a hallmark of any of the other 29 clubs. Very few places. I know the Raiders were like that under Al Davis for a while. Very few teams, though, have this loyalty to their people where a Keith Lipman lasts for 54 years. A Steve Vucinich is 52 years. Pam Pitts is going on many, many years. 
I, should, I was just texting her. I should ask her how many years she's been here. Don't want to bring it up. But he just <laughs> mentioned Billy O, over 20 years. David Forrest, over 20 years. Eric Kubota. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. It's one thing that's great about this organization, working for this organization, especially in baseball ops. It's a family. And loyalty and continuity, it matters. Which I think is one of the reasons – you know, we've been able to sustain success over a long period of time in a, a business and a game that's changed. I think, you know, the bedrock here for us and in, in, in the baseball operations has been that loyalty. I, again, it's, I, again, I, I'm going to always refer to Sandy a lot in my career, but it started with Sandy and I'd like to think uh, myself and David have continued that. And it's something, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud that, that people internally also recognize it, know that that's important to all of us. So, I mean, you mentioned Pam and, and Eric Kubota and all these. I mean, again, I, I think it's uh, – I'm really proud that I've been able to work uh, with these people for this many years. And, uh, you know, they, at first they become work colleagues and they become incredibly close friends. So I've uh, been very, very fortunate. that The, the, the culture that we've uh, had here in Oakland has always been very, very special. And people, you know, listen, they, I'm always proud of the people. It was hard. Yeah, listen, I almost had to kick Farhan out the door, you know. Uh, you know, he was he, he was more than ready to go do what he did and obviously do what he's doing. You know, J.P. Ricciardi and, you know, Grady and people who've, uh, Paul D. Podesta, who, uh, you know, we've had an amazing group, but they, they didn't just, they didn't easily leave. And I think, uh, again, that all started with the culture that Sandy started when, when the team was purchased from Oz family and has been carried through over multiple ownership groups. And, and, uh, and now, you know, you look at the leadership and, Baseball DAs, one thing I was always proud of, I mean, there, you, had, you had the guy at the very, very top of the food chain and Connie Mack, and you had you know, Charles Finley for a few years, and you had Sandy and, and, and myself. It's not a real long, long list. And uh, so I didn't start it, but I'm proud of the fact I've been able to continue it. And some moves have just been made. The A's have non-tendered Deolis Guerra. We never knew him. He's never pitched for us because he had to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, Jared Koenig, who obviously, if you remember back, I know real well. I know his father real well. And then David McKinnon, who did not hit at all. He hit in Las Vegas a little bit. But they are non-tendered. They are free agents. Doesn't mean the A's can't bring them back. I could see Koenig being brought back. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, what does that do? Roster flexibility, folks. And the A's now have three open spots on the 40-man roster. I'm trying to see if anyone else was – any other news has come out from other teams non-tendering, but doesn't look like anything yet. No news on Bellinger. Before we get to Joe Madden, I want to play one last one because it's amazing. This memory, this day, this time frame in our lives, it's – as a sports memory, it's hard to say is not your favorite. It was it. It's weird. Like you could say, what about the championships? And what about 2012 was just mad. If you lived it and you were around it and you were there every day, the magic of 2012 is real. Billy Bean on his favorite A's memory. My favorite day in this job, and I and I almost when it was happening, I I think I always. I wish I could say it was when we held up the World Series trophy, but uh, but it was actually uh, 2012, that last day of the season uh, where we we clinched that division. That that was uh, really an incredible, incredible day, an incredible year. 
And uh, for some reason, that one, if I were to name one day, and again, I know I'm forgetting some, I've been very lucky, but uh, that day really stands out for me. I remember thinking that if I never had this job another day, that, uh, that, that, that it'd be okay, because that was just an amazing day, season. I remember me and Bob Melvin sitting there in, in August because we were supposed to lose 105 games that year and nobody cared about us and uh, all the way up till about the last week of the season. And in fact, I think the, the, the amazing thing about that year was we never once spent the regular season one day in first place, which is, and yet we won the division. And so that, that day stands out for me as much as anything. I thought it was a pretty special day to see the crowd sold out, just going crazy and, uh, so that, 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 I would say that one, but again, I don't know if that was what you're looking for, but and maybe it's an yeah. odd one, but it sticks out for me. Yeah. I think there's no question. We'll all feel that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it's that time of the year, folks, where we're going to have list after list after list. Like today, who's going to be Rookie of the Year? We're going to list, and we have all these reasons why Julio Rodriguez or Rushman's going to win the Rookie of the Year. But right now, it's a lot about free agency. And Robert Murray from Fansided joins us once again. I'm looking at your list. By the way, do you like doing lists? I'm not usually a big list guy, but when it comes to free agency, we got we got to do it, baby. Top 25, yeah. got to give everything, give the people what we're hearing. Life is good, man. The worst, and I used to work with an NBA guy, and the worst was when they had to do their mock drafts. Like, he hated it. He's like, And he was always like, listen, mock drafts, you never put out in your first mock draft what you really think is going to happen. So when everybody says, oh, Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper's put out their first mock draft, they're lying. So that first yeah. that first one is never going to be what you really think. It's the last one that you put out, like your, your sixth mock draft, that you think is going to be real. So I know these aren't easy, but for us, we live off this stuff because this is what's important right now, right? We just had the GM meetings in Las Vegas. We're going to have the winter meetings in San Diego. It, what, it's what gets us excited in the offseason season. And, you know, it's not, not – Robert, it's not too many times in our lifetime you're going to have a guy hit free agency who just hit 62 home runs. No, that is mind-blowing to me. Like, And you look at the market for Judge, and it's going to have all those big spending teams in it. It's going to have the Yankees. It's going to have the Dodgers. And, I mean, those two right there are just powerhouses. You got the Giants. And then you got the threat of, like, another team hopping into this race – that could throw this thing even more 
um, offhand than it already is. But Judge is going to get a lot of money. I'm telling you, I'm convinced that the number is going to start with a three when it's all said and done. Um, I still think he goes back to the Yankees, but the threat of another team stealing him away from the Yankees is very real. Um, can't rule anything out there, but um, I, I think the Yankees right now are the current favorite. All right. You're very good at breaking news in our sport. Try to be at least. Okay. This comes down from your source that judge is signed with this team. You're about to put it out on Twitter. What team would it be that it would blow your mind that he's signing with that team and that you have to hit tweet and you can't believe it? Boy, I'm not going to go with the three teams that we just listed because, I mean, those would kind of like – those wouldn't be like, wow. But if there was ever a team that could just throw this completely upside down, it's the Texas Rangers. And I'll give you why. Wow, now that. <laughs> See, there you go. I, I, my answer ended up achieving what yes. we were trying to You know who I was thinking, which would be like the ultimate, it'd be like one of the best troll moves of all time. What about That's, the Red Sox? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? I'll tell you, if I found that out, I would I'd probably, I mean, I can't say what I was about to say. <laughs> I, would, I would be legitimately stunned if the Red Sox ended up doing that. That would be one where... Um, I find out I get the shakes immediately and like that would be the, the best troll move of all time. Um, but with the Reds or with the, uh, the Rangers, they spent big last off season on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Obviously they're going to heavily target pitching this year. And it would not surprise me at all if they ended up ending up with a, a top of the rotation kind of starter, like a DeGrom or a Carlos Rodon or anything like that. But they still need offensive help. Judge is sitting out there. Um, ownership is given an indication that they're willing to spend and spend big. So that's that's at least where my Rangers prediction came from. It's not based on concrete info, which is based on like connecting those dots. Cody, I got to think that uh, adding Aaron Judge to the American League is that a mind blower for you? I still don't think they challenge the Astros, but I think that's a that yeah blows my mind. That, if him you, and Bruce Bochy. If you tweeted that out, I'd just be like, oh, my God. So I, I, I'm glad I asked that because that would be mind-blowing. But, yeah, I mean, that that is something, you know, because we were there in 2019 at the win- winter meetings in San Diego, and we were right next to the Yes Network. They brought out a whole TV stage. They had all these different TV personalities there. And people need to know that at these meetings, when an Albert Pujol signs or a Garrett Cole signs, everybody freaks out. That's going to happen, and when it happens, but you do think Judge in the end stays in New York? I think that it is um, – I mean, I, I think that's the most likely outcome, but I also am not – it's not a lock that he ends up going back to New York. Let's just say that. Fascinating. Like Once again, we've never seen a guy hit free agency that hit 62 home runs. You know, Carlos Carrera is so interesting to me. Because here we're, we're, we're all now praising the Astros again, even though James Click is now gone. But they're, we're praising how they do business, right? They're smart. They spend money, but they don't spend crazy money. They got a lot of homegrown guys. They take care of them. They do business probably the best way you can do business now. All the technology, it's everywhere up and down their minor league system. And if we're going to praise these guys for being so smart, they got rid of Carlos Correa. They could have paid him. 
They told him to go away. They had somebody else. So I'm wondering, and here we'll see what the Minnesota Twins, because now they've had him in-house. They know what he's like. We'll see if they go after him big time. I just, you know, young superstar, hasn't always been so durable. Um, He's very brash. I like his game. I like that he stood up in the wake of the controversy of the cheating scandal, showed he's got some cojones. But why don't teams love this guy as much as you think they would? I do think they love him um, just because, like, he's a world-class player. And Carlos Carlos Correa is just not – actually – Hang on. I'm sorry. We might have. Do we have breaking news? Are we breaking news right here live? Uh, maybe. Aaron Judge is signed with the Texas Rangers? No, no. It's not, <laughs> not going. Uh, yeah, not going Not going to the Rangers, at least to my knowledge. But um, I, I will say a guy like Carlos Correa, um, teams love him. Obviously, he's tied to that cheating scandal and that um, – and, and that may impact his market. Like a team like the Dodgers certainly is going or is not going to be involved, at least in my opinion, because of that and like the impact that it had on LA. Um, but from every indication that I've gotten, the twins liked Correa uh, and he liked the twins. And I think there's mutual interest there for sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think a reunion there is the most likely outcome, um, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. But um, I think what really could end up I think what's going to end up putting him at number two in these shortstop rankings is that injury history of his, because um, he's had a good amount of injuries throughout his career. And Trey Turner, for the most part, has been pretty durable. And a lot of these teams think that Turner's going to age better than Correa. Um, so I, that's that's where I get that one from. But I, teams do love Correa. Heim Bloom, I got to think, is on a short leash right now. Like Boston is all about winning games. Uh, they're about being a big market, big money team. They haven't exactly uh, been that lately. They're still a big market team. They just haven't been acting like it. And after losing Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts goes on to do what he has done and to win a World Series, can can Boston afford just the PR hit? Xander Bogarts leaving again? Can Hein Bloom afford that? I don't think so. Like that, that uh, Mookie Betts one, that was a tough, tough, tough pill for them to swallow. Um, both from like losing a player like that because he's a, a world-class player and the PR hit and Bloom has ever since been called cheap and basically everything under the sun by Red Sox fans. And I think that was a big wake up call for that organization. Um, and they've made a, a concerted effort this off season to make it clear that, Bogarts is their plan one, two, three, four, and five. Like they want to retain Xander Bogarts. From my understanding, there has been little progress in those talks so far, but we got a lot of offseason to come. Um, basically, the GM meetings were a lot of these teams kicking the tires and like getting these wheels in motion for a lot of their moves for the offseason. Um, so I would fully expect there to be movement in the coming weeks, but um, I, I do not think the Red Sox can afford to lose Bogarts because that losing him only a couple years after losing Mookie Betts, that's tough. That's really tough. How big of players are the Dodgers going to be, and what do they do with Bellinger? That is a wonderful question. By the way, I can tell you, false alarm, uh, we're not breaking any news right now. Uh, I figured I'd just give you an update on that one, but it was a, it was a very interesting text. I like Cody Bellinger coming to the A's. We're the king at rehabbing people's images and careers. 
You know, from the movie Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland A already. Cody Bellinger <laughs> sounds like an Oakland A already. I'll tell you, I, I like the fit. I like the fit in San right? Francisco a little bit more for Bellinger. All right, all right. Uh, my my apologies. My apologies, not to be the bearer of bad news over here. Um, but I, I think the Dodgers face a really difficult challenge and decision with what they're going to do with Cody Bellinger here. Um, and if it was me running the show, um, it would be it would be tough. But I think I would move on from a guy like Cody Bellinger, and he's surely going to have a market. There's going to be a team that offers him a one year deal, um, trying to get him back um, to the, to the way that he was before all of his injuries. And I think Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco knows him better than any other executive in baseball. And uh, I think that's a really good fit for the giants and for Bellinger, if that were to come, but I fully expect the Dodgers to be active this off season. They got to be mindful of the fact that they have a lot of these young players coming up and they don't want to block them this year. And then long-term as well. But I do think if you look in the rotation, they have, um, they have holes to fill there. They obviously have Kershaw, at least they're close to bringing him back, uh, offer the qualifying offer to Tyler Anderson. I've wondered if they could end up doing a short-term deal for a guy like Jacob deGrom um, along the lines of what they did with Trevor Bauer, um, uh, like a three-year or four-year contract for about $40 million a year. Um, I also, I mean, obviously the judge rumors persist. Um, they're a fascinating one, but I, I fully expect the Dodgers to be pretty active, especially um, only a few months ago, the Padres ended up getting Juan Soto and Josh Hader and a lot of these guys at the deadline. Yeah, the Dodgers' payroll flexibility. I mean, once they get rid of Justin Turner, that's $16 million right there. You know, Bellinger, that's going to be losing what you're going to have to pay him. So they're going to have a lot of money there. And yet DeGrom, DeGrom seems like a good fit because most teams – if they sign DeGrom to that big money, I need X amount of starts. I need X amount of innings to get my bang for the buck. The Dodgers, though, with so much flexibility, eh, if he's not the most healthy and we get 21 to 25 starts, we know we're not going to get 200 innings, but we got enough guys to cover innings. We need him to show up in the postseason. Yeah, you know, when you don't need the volume, DeGrom could be a good guy for you. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I just – L.A.'s going to have a lot of money – and if they don't have a bad taste in their mouth the way they went out, Robert, I still this fries me. If I own the Dodgers, right, that, yeah. final, that final game, when you spend millions in front office, you spend million in independent contractors, you got all these Ph.D. scientists, engineer guys breaking stuff down, you got all that technology, you're losing to San Diego in the end, and the guys on the mound are all making seven hundred grand. I got a problem with that. I'm spending millions for this brilliant think tank, and in my last game against the Padres, my guys on the mound, two of them were making seven hundred and twenty thousand. The other was making like seven hundred and fifty. I got a problem with that. I need to spend some money, and I need the. I mean, that's how I would feel if I was an owner of the Dodgers. You know, I totally feel you on that one. I think that's dead on because when you spend a, when you spend that kind of money um, throughout that entire roster, then you have some of the. I mean, obviously, they're still talented guys. Don't get me wrong. But I'm a huge believer that in those key situations for the Dodgers or for any team, you live and die by your best, especially in the postseason. And if you can upgrade those positions, you can upgrade other different positions for them as well, especially with the rotation, with how many holes they have there now. Um, I I think that team would be further built to um, make a deep postseason run. But I will say this, the injury to Dustin May, for the Dodgers, that was 
they were they had a pretty big role in vision for him. It may not have been as a starter because he was still not as built up late in the season as they would hope, just because they wanted to be really careful with that injury. But um, they they did not have him available, and that ended up like revealing itself as like a pretty big loss for them late in the year. Um, so once once they get May back, and once they end up prioritizing like adding another big name or adding complimentary pieces throughout the roster. Um, I think they're going to be in better shape, but it's, it's a complicated off season for Andrew Freeman to navigate just because, as I mentioned before, they got to balance um, spending big, but they also got to like balance all the young guys that they have in the minor leagues. Cause they, the time is now for those guys. Um, and they're, they're pretty adamant about that behind the scenes here. So we, we talked Bogarts, we talked Correa you still got Turner and Swansby out there. I mean, they're short. You need a shortstop. There's like a tree. There's like a money tree, and it's got shortstops on it. How, how yeah. do you what, how do you see those two guys? What are they going to do? Boy, I'll, I'll tell you that the shortstop one is is completely fascinating to me, um, especially with the Dodgers. And you look at I, they still have interest in retaining Trey Turner, but that contract is going to be pretty pricey. Um, that I wrote earlier today that that contract, when it's all said and done, could be about eight or nine years for about 35 million a year. Um, and do the Dodgers do that or do they go with a lower cost option of say like a, a Dansby Swanson type or a Xander Bogarts? Um, and that would also afford them flexibility to up, like spend more money throughout other parts of the roster. Um, the Trey Turner market, I can tell you, is massive. And the Dodgers, they have extreme competition there. They got, I'm sure the Giants are going to be involved to some degree because they're they're going to spend big this offseason. You got, um, I, I've wondered about the Atlanta Braves being a sleeper just because I think there's there's been rumblings that the Braves really like Trey Turner. But that being said, what team does not like Trey Turner? Um, the Phillies have been mentioned. The Mets have been mentioned. The Padres can never rule them out, especially with a player that AJ probably loves. Um, there's going to be plenty of competition there. And I wonder if it could end up pricing the Dodgers out of the, the Turner market. But that being said, the, the Dodgers have a lot of money to spend. Can't rule anything out there. You mentioned the Padres. They've yep. got the, they got the two $300 million contracts, Tatis and Machado. You've got, I don't even know what Soto's going to get. Um, I have my opinions on Soto, maybe, I don't think he's the greatest thing that I've ever seen. I think a lot of people in San Diego were frustrated with his lack of swinging the bat. Um, what could happen with San Diego this offseason? Could they maybe find a taker for Tatis Jr. and get rid of the contract? Could they move? I mean, San Diego doesn't have unlimited cash. This is not this is not a cash cow cable deal town. I mean, there's no. all there, you know, right? I mean, they're like market 24 when it comes to television. Their TV deal with Fox isn't that big. So, like, could you see some movement with San Diego, one of the big three being moved? I would be stunned. Um, I, I can't see um, I can't see Tatis being moved. Everything that I've heard is that Tatis, a, a trade involving Tatis is not in the cards for them. Uh, Tatis is going to be a Padre. Um, and that's why I think, um, along with the, um, the Manny Machado and the Juan Soto eventual contract there, that's why I think they're not going to be able to spend big on a player like Trey Turner, um, or any other big player like that. They may be able to add like a bigger name to the rotation. Like that certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. We're not looking at like a DeGrom or a Justin Verlander type there by any means, but like, um, maybe like a tier two starter for them. 
uh, can make a whole lot of sense. But um, with AJ Preller, you certainly can't rule anything completely out just because that guy thinks in a way that not many people do. Like how many other executives in baseball in a 24 hour span would acquire Josh Hader, Josh Bell and Juan Soto? Like Preller thinks way differently than any other executive, but I think we got to tame expectations for what they do um, this winter um, just because they went all in this past deadline and their farm system. They still got some, they still got some dudes there like Jackson Merrill is somebody that a lot of teams love. Um, but they also got to be mindful not to spend too much of the payroll here. So tame expectations, but still like a, a decent starting pitcher should, should not be ruled out for them at all. And ship uh, Hosmer off to Boston and pay $43 million of his salary. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was unbelievable. Let's end on this. I was just in Reno this past week in our guys' football trip where we just go and bet football all weekend long. But I just sat back and observed. And what I, I'm listening to our group. I'm listening to other groups. You start talking to each other on the floor, the sports book. And – so much of football now has nothing to do with who wins and who loses. It's And it's not even really the quality of the game because there's a lot of terrible games out there. Yeah. Everybody's talking about their fantasy team. And you got guys talking about their fantasy team with their sons, their, mm-hmm. their fantasy team with their buddies. The way that football – and football, and I'm trying to remind everybody, the NFL was against fantasy sports – the NFL was against office pools. Everything that's made the NFL great, they were actually originally against. But what they finally realized is this helps build our game. So you got all these people. You got teenagers who have four or five different fantasy teams. You got people gambling on the spot. You got everybody. There's a reason why people are hooked to football, and it's not about X's and O's and actually who's winning. And I'm trying to think for the Major League Baseball the NBA, how do we, we're never going to do it at that level, but how do we get into that game to we make people, and I know you're not going to have the answer, but I think we need to start thinking this way. So on a Tuesday night when the Mariners are playing the A's, people want to pay attention to why this game is going on other than yeah. you're a Mariner fan and an A's game. Baseball has to figure out a way. NBA, I'm telling you, you had the guy who uh, Embiid went for 59 for the Sixers. That game was in the sports book. Guy goes for 59. Not one person was watching it. So it's like, how do we get people to be so engaged in our games beyond saying, I like this team and I like baseball? It's a one heck of a question. Let me tell you that. And I'll tell you, like, I think a lot of it, it may like this is the argument that I hear from a lot of different friends of mine who are who ask me like how can you work in baseball and it all stems from the fact that the season is too long, um, and you look at baseball or and that's that's what they tell me. You look at football, 16, 17 games now. Um, you have twenty games or twenty one games overall for each team. I mean, if they make it to the Super Bowl, um, I wonder if. Um, having less games would increase more fan interest um, just because um, there would be more on the line with each game. Um, but I would want to, I would want to think about that answer more so I can have my opinion rather than like me saying what a lot of my friends say. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a question that major league baseball needs to answer. Um, it needs to answer it soon. Even the NBA does. And we, we all know how popular uh, the NBA is too, but, getting baseball to be 
even closer to what the NFL is, I think is priority numero uno for Rob Manfred. Um, I mean, the game's not dying. Like the, the b- baseball to me is in a really good spot, but it could be so much better if they ended up doing um, things right. And I will say this too. One thing that really bothers me um, with baseball is the fact that they um, sometimes limit the videos that can be circulated on Twitter. Like you see something that goes viral and all of a sudden, like six hours later, like the copyright owner has demanded that this be taken down or whatever. If you allow those and let these clips go viral, teams or not teams, but like young people, even people just trying to like learn more about baseball are going to be more inclined to watch and listen to it. And then maybe that increases the betting. Maybe that increases fantasy baseball. It's all about promoting your game. And I think baseball does a really poor job of that. Well, we love having you on the show. You're absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to win. I'm following at by Robert Murray and my phone dings and you pop up and it says Aaron Judge has signed with the Texas Rangers. I'm going to be that man's a genius. He's a genius. It's like you got a crystal ball in front of you. I'll tell you if that happens, where you all three of us, we're taking the next flight to Vegas and we're going to put like <laughs> twenty grand on whatever. Um, so just get ready for that. It's, I'm gonna, I'll call you guys immediately as soon I'm, as it happens. I'm telling the wife we're draining the kids' college fund and we're going to Vegas. Darn right, I, I, that's exactly what you got to do. No hesitation, just send it. Let's do it. All right, Amen. buddy, be well. We love having you on the program. We're following you, of course. Fan side, it is great. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you guys having me. Have a great day. Robert Murray, he does an outstanding job, and, yeah, he breaks all kinds of news. And the great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle, our only national baseball writer in the San Francisco Bay Area, joins us here as his alma mater took down my alma mater on Saturday night. Oh, it was a rough one. How are you, John Shea? Yeah, when when you get a defensive tackle who's your quarterback or – yeah, <laughs> or safety or whatever the heck he was the last few years and you just throw him in a quarterback and he's the conference player of the week that's not bad right yeah that is uh that is true and you know when i think about what i saw this weekend and i was just talking about it and the nfl originally did not embrace gambling the nfl originally did not like fantasy sports They fought fantasy sports because they weren't making money off of it. CBSSports.com, Yahoo Sports. But somehow, as I was sitting in a casino for three days, John, and I watched how people are so locked into football, not on wins and losses, not on the team you grew. You're a 49er fan. These people are locked in on fantasy. Which guys do they have on each team? It's money on the game. There's so many different things that people are locked in that's not based on the actual game that we don't have in baseball, we don't have in the NBA. I don't know how we do it in baseball, but somehow we've got to figure out a way to get people interested on watching Mariners and A's on a Tuesday night, and it really has nothing to do with the outcome of the game. The GM meetings were in Vegas, and – yep. I saw firsthand the sports book and, and all the TVs, and it, it's pretty heavy stuff. You know, the Diamondbacks have a uh, betting room just on the premises, and some other parks are adding that as well. Walk outside, walk 50 feet, go up to the window, 
and bet. Oh, for sure. But look where we are. Yeah, I'll never forget uh, our last trip to Japan was sponsored by MGM because they're doing the big thing there in Tokyo. They're building this gambling mecca outside of Tokyo. They sponsored our whole series of us being there with with the Seattle Mariners. So I just – there's got to be a way. I mean, I like the fact that we're going to try new rules. Some will work, some won't. We can be, we can adapt. I mean, that's what human beings do. Our game will adapt the way the other sports adapt. I like we're trying to speed up the game. But in the end, we got to find a way. I mean, all these high school kids now have fantasy teams. They got fantasy teams with their parents. I mean, these, these leagues are bringing people together and sharing experiences. It's what we've got to strive to do. By the way, the general manager meetings, uh, you ran into David Forrest. What were your takeaway for the athletics down at the, at the, not the winter meetings, but at the GM meetings? Well, I think that payroll will go up. I think that they will go after some free agents, obviously low-level free agents, maybe for the first time in a couple of years or mid-level, whatever the case may be. And I think Sean Murphy is going to be traded. They have so much depth at the position with Shea Longoliers and Soderstrom and everyone down, Susak, um, McCann. You go pretty deep with the catching situation with Oakland. And if you need a third baseman, if you need um, – an outfielder, if you need, I mean, your rotation, a reliever or two, and you could get three guys, maybe a couple of them might be ready. And he actually said, rather than, you know, in, instead of all those uh, prospects that they got from all the trades, the three pitchers and the corner infielders, I think they're going to focus on getting major league players in response, in re- in return for so I think Sean Murphy might go this offseason. There's all kinds of buzz at the GM meetings. Molina is stepping aside in St. Louis, and some other teams are going to need someone behind the plate. It's sad to lose a guy like that. It's sad to trade a guy like that, but it's an easy way to fill holes uh, elsewhere on the roster. So no matter – I mean, what, he, he won a gold glove two years ago. This year he was a silver slugger finalist, one of the best young catchers in the game, and you have to trade him because – I mean, you just don't go out and get a judge or a Trey Turner uh, on the free agent market. That's not what Oakland has ever done. So this is the next best thing, trade your asset. And I think they could fill a couple of holes by moving him. And it does make sense, right? Like you think about it and you don't want to lose a guy, but you got to think a business is a business and, and you got to operate it that way. And you think that he's da- he's right in the middle of his prime. You know you're not going to win right now. So having him in his prime years – uh, moving him for other pieces that can help you when you are starting to win, I, I see why teams would do that. It makes, a, a, from a standpoint of, well, he'd help you now. Well, you lost 102 games. You're probably, you know, you could <laughs> sign some guys and lose 95 next year. You can actually go get some good players for him that will help you in two, three, four years when you are starting to win again. And Langoliers came up at the perfect spot, right? And- yeah pretty good first name as well Shay um and Stephen Vogt was there you saw him all in the corner all those catchers it was Vogt it was Langoliers it was Murphy and they were huddling every single day so those young guys learned a lot from Vogt this year especially down the stretch when all three of them were together they traded thoughts they traded insight and oftentimes Vogt would just hold court and those two young guys were just listening so it's a great experience for the two young guys, and now Vogt is moving on. Um, 
they have a bench coach opening, but I think uh, Katze is going to get somebody uh, else. I think Vote is looking at all kinds of possibilities, whether it's executive, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's coaching, managing in the minors, who knows. But um, uh, I haven't heard whether Vote is front and center because they hadn't talked to him for that opening um, last week during the GM meeting. So um they have a they have an opening to fill but anyway it's it's pretty it was pretty cool right to go in that clubhouse and see those catchers huddle in the corner like they always were yeah i mean they got a group that you know when we go position by position and we go by need we just skip right over catcher and that discussion because we know there's there's a lot more coming so that's going to be real interesting because you can only play one of them so having a bunch of them doesn't do you a whole lot of good unless they can pick up other gloves and play somewhere else. When you were down there in Vegas, did you hear anything that surprised you? Well, um, I, I think, I think uh, you know, Scott Boris held court. Yeah. And he's got so many of the top-end free agents. And I think <laughs> – I think Aaron Judge is going to help determine the value of a lot of these shortstops, as crazy as that might sound. But if he gets, I don't know, eight or nine years and $300 million, you know, then you have the next level of shortstops, the four guys, you know, Bogarts and Trey Turner, um, you know, all the way down, Carlos Correa, uh, Dansby Swanson. And, and those are some pretty good frontline shortstops. And all of them are in their 20s. Dansby the youngest and and Turner and then Correa is the second youngest then Turner so so uh, the 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 thing is what what I hear the most though when talking to agents uh, who don't represent these guys because agents who represent those guys would play them up like um, you know they're going to make a difference in the organization big time you're going to go from average to very good with one of these guys but agents who don't represent those guys will tell you that. If you look at the top 100 in anybody's list of prospects, it's just jam-packed with shortstops. So everybody yeah. has one. The A's have a great one, defensively anyway. Um, the Giants across the bay uh, with Luciano and Crawford moving eventually have one. So um, it, it's like, okay, everybody has a great shortstop coming up. Do you spend that much money on a shortstop? Because shortstop, one agent told me, is a, is a young man's position. And Crawford's 35, coming up on 35. And, you know, Ripken and Jeter, those guys played forever. Ripken moved to third. But the thing is, eventually some of these shortstops are going to have to move. I don't see Bogarts playing shortstop forever. Um, he might have to move to a corner infield spot. And, and Trey Turner can play anywhere. I mean, he can play center. He can play second. All these key positions he's able to. I see Correa as a real good fit for a lot of teams because he's like 27 and um he's he's durable enough to help you you know now and deep into the future i think he could stay on short for a long time but anyway i i, I think that's kind of it i said what, what's going to happen with the shortstop market because people behind the scenes says you know everyone's kind of got one or at least one coming up and uh, these guys are going to be you know 100 200 million dollar players 
Yeah, shortstop is like tight end in the NFL. You draft these guys, you draft the body type, knowing that you can move them. You know, if I draft a tight end, I could bulk him up, make an offensive lineman. I can slim him down, make him a wide receiver. He could play on the defensive side of the ball. Shortstop's the same way. We've seen shortstops go to center field. I mean, it's easy to say move them to third base. They can move all over the diamond because they're so athletic. So you draft a guy knowing that, there's a lot of different guy, a lot of different places you can put them. So that's why you'll see a lot of shortstops in every single organization. It's a very good point. And you know, when I start thinking about certain teams, I, I don't like. For me, business wise, my father always told me, "Play your cards close to the vest. Don't let people know what you're thinking." But I understand the San Francisco Giants. They have always been very weary about how their fan base is feeling. I mean, obviously, when you put that gamble down on that ballpark, we all remember it as Pac Bell, and you're worried about, hey, are we going to be able to make this thing happen? Of course, they paid it off in record time. Everything's been great, three championships. But when their fan base is starting to criticize them, where's the star players? They didn't get the bump off 107 wins. Season tickets are down. Attendance is down. You know, they want that Bonds-type guy. They want that star player. So they let it leak out that, and I don't know how it leaked out, but it got out and it had to come from them that they will not be outspent. Well, what happens if Aaron Judge re-signs with the New York Yankees? What happens if Steve Cohen busts out a checkbook that no one else has and he – I mean, are the Giants just letting that leak so they kind of are able to say, hey, we offered a lot of money, but they didn't take it? Or is this something they're really all in on? We're going to do everything we can to bring them here because they need a little sizzle on the steak. Well, I don't think they had to leak anything. Farhan Zaidi has been up front saying we're going after all these high-entry agents. And he hadn't said that in previous years. He might have behind the scenes, but not publicly like he is now. I mean – he said in, in, in Las Vegas that uh, the resources should be able to pay for whatever is out there. And the resources are a plenty. I mean, they were 13th in payroll and they've been top four, top five team in payroll. And it just so happened that they're right about there in attendance. And they were also top four, top five in attendance. So what does that tell you? Well, you're not spending as much and now you're a 500 team and where's the superstar? The San Francisco Giants, I think last year was only the sixth year they did not have one of the following players. Sixth year since they moved in 1958. Willie Mays, Jack Clark, Will Clark, Barry Bonds, Buster Posey. So last year was the sixth year since 1958. One of those guys was not on their roster. So they've always been a superstar-driven team. Uh, they only won the three championships, not in the 60s or, or the 70s, but they were every bit as good as all those other National League teams in the 60s. They had the most wins in the decade. Marshall had the most wins. Uh, they finished second five times. This was before the wild card and all that stuff. But you, you win the pennant, you go to the World Series. That was the playoffs. So there's an awful lot of funny money in that budget this year. And they're talking as much as they're apparently moving and grooving and dealing and wheeling and all this stuff. Um, you know, they've contacted Boris. I assume they've contacted the agent for judge and they have to go after a lot of guys because obviously it takes two to tango and all those cliches 
will Judge want to come? Will Turner want to come? Well, Judge could want to stay back east eventually. He He's kind of, in an interview I did with him in late August, kind of hinted, hey, you know, I grew up a Giants fan. I always wanted to be a Giant. You know, that changed when I was drafted by the Yankees, and now it's about business. And now you're a pro. You don't always want to go back to your hometown team. But his parents are a couple hours away. He's very close to the family. It's a little community out in Linden yeah. in the San Joaquin Valley. It's a small town, and everybody kind of rallies around him. They would love his, to. His mother-in-law is still in the school district in Linden. I mean, we've heard, <laughs> we've heard all these things. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's 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 you have to go after him, but you have to go after at least a couple of these shortstop in case somebody doesn't uh, want to come here for whatever reason. And Turner, you know, we keep hearing he wants to go back east. It's either the Dodgers or bust on the West Coast, and it doesn't seem like he's going back to the Dodgers anyway. Uh, you know, so a lot of teams are going to be in on these guys. So, but the, so the Giants and they're losing Carlos um, Radon, perhaps. So they even either have to re-sign him or get someone else to be at the top of the rotation with Logan Webb. You're a great person to ask because you were just down there, and I've been thinking about this because there was a great article in you in the USA Today from our friend Bob Nightingale about Dave Dombrowski and Dave getting another team to the World Series. Dave really still bitter about the way he was fired in Boston. You have these teams that have a lot of money. We'll look at the Red Sox, look at the Giants, look at the Cubs, but really kind of the Red Sox and the Giants really wanted to go kind of money ball with money. Now, I always laugh when people bring up Moneyball because Moneyball was a necessity. Bean didn't have money. He had to do whatever he could do, scratch and claw. But now all of a sudden, what, Heim Bloom was brought in, Farhan's brought in. You know, we're going to place Dombrowski. We're going to replace Larry Bear. I mean, um, Brian Sabian. <laughs> Not Larry Bear. Sorry, Larry. Uh, replace, <laughs> replace Brian Sabian. We're going to do the new school, kind of spin less. We're going to still win, spin less, make more. And, and that really, it hasn't worked. Did you get the sense, big market teams playing money ball, not flying right now, Dave Dombrowski lit, made him look bad in Philly, and now that's when you hear Farhan saying, oh, now we're going to spin. Hein Bloom, now we need to spin. Are you getting the sense big market teams need to start acting like big market teams again? Yeah, baseball is so cyclical. If it doesn't work with analytics, let's hire Buck Showalter or Dusty Baker um, and if it uh, doesn't work with the old school mentality, uh, like the couple last years, uh, you know, with Bochi, well, let's get Farhan Zaidi and go the extreme other way. That's just the way it's always been. And I imagine it's always going to be that way. I mean, they love Dusty in Houston now, but you remember Houston was on the ground floor of a lot of these newfangled ways of doing things, uh, you know, on the level and sometimes not on the level, as we know now. But you know, you look at that World Series and you look at the Phillies, it was spend, spend, spend. But the Astros was develop, develop, develop. I mean, it's a, quite a contrast of the two World Series teams. Dusty managed a team with a homegrown rotation other than Verlander, a homegrown infield, three out of four guys, a couple outfielders, guys in the, the rotation where you look at a lot of the stars on Philly and they had just signed them over the last couple of three years. So Big money, too. So which organization would you like to have? Well, you would like to have the Astros with the homegrown guys and then fill in with, with a Harper or whomever um, to round it out and to, to, to cement a superstar in the lineup. And, you know, right now, 
you know, the Giants aren't necessarily deep with homegrown talent. It was kind of a down year in the minor league system. All their top prospects were either hurt or ineffective. So we'll see what happens this coming year. But in the meantime, I think the fan base definitely wants to move on from mixing and matching and platooning. I think even Farhan Zaidi wants to do that too. It's always better to have regulars in your lineup. You don't have to have the big red machine of the 70s in Cincinnati. But as Bob Melvin told me, he went from Oakland to San Diego. The lineup pretty much was the same every day, maybe one platoon out in center field. But otherwise, you're paying all these guys so much money, you're not going to platoon them. And that's what worked for the Giants two years ago with all those wins and then didn't work this past year because nobody had career years like they all did the previous year. So a lot of things need to happen if you continue to mix and match and platoon and all that stuff, um, bullpen your way through a game. That doesn't always work, as we saw in the postseason. Bullpenning, one guy can ruin everything. And you rely on so many people to be perfect. It just doesn't work out so easily as, as it might, you know, in, 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 you know, on the computer. You'll, but anyway, it's just, that's just a contrast. You'll love this. It was said on the show during the World Series, ah, Philly, it's a blue-collar team. And someone pointed out that's the most expensive blue-collar team in the history of baseball, no question. Uh, tell me about the HBO Max. They got the documentary coming out. Say Hey, Willie Mays. Of course, your great book about Willie Mays, a tribute to one of the greatest players who has ever lived. So one of the greatest. Who is the greatest? Well, you know what's funny? We created all these analytics, right? Because these analytics were supposed to give us new answers. They created all these analytics, and the, and the same guy's at top of all these analytics. His name's Babe Ruth. <laughs> Everywhere. You know, our friend Eno Saris, Eno Saris, who knows everything about analytics and all the modern-day stats. Yeah. He's quoted in the book saying, you know, Willie could have won seven, eight, or nine MVPs. He won two. But you look at his war. He led the National League in war every year, oftentimes leading the entire major leagues in war. And that's a stat that a lot of people base their MVP vote on, um, whether you like it or not. And who's the best player in the league? Well, let's see who's got the highest war. It's not a perfect stat. Um, it doesn't always gauge defense properly, uh, but it takes into account all of Willie's tools, hitting, hitting with power, base running, um, throwing, and fielding. And... I mean, you say Babe Ruth he could be the best. Well, he didn't have those five tools. He didn't defend or throw in the outfield like like Mays. I mean, yes, he pitched, but, you know, in the research for this book, there were a couple of Birmingham newspapers that projected Willie Mays was going to be a pitcher, not a hitter in the big leagues. That's how good of an arm he had. So if he pitched, hey, he might have been like the Babe as well. But, you know, it's not like Babe is like Otani. He kind of pitched and then he hit. He didn't do this very long uh, simultaneously like the man in Anaheim. So anyway, when people say, who's the greatest ever? I say, well, the greatest overall ever. And you could make an argument. Actually, I can't. I can't make an argument as to what his best tool is because the hitting is as good as his throwing, which is as good as his base running, which is good as defending, which is good as his power game. So it's pretty amazing. And the film touches on this, but it also touches on a lot of behind the scenes um, notes and storytelling from Willie's life and career that might not have otherwise 
been told. I did in the book, and now it's out on screen, the big screen or your little screen on your phone or the big screen <laughs> on your pad, whatever you might have. Um, it's an hour and 40, and I, I, I really love the concept of it. It's a fabulous film. It really uh, embraces and um, dissects Willie's life and career and you know his life and exemplary life and the, the way he lived and the inspiration. Um, it's a huge word for Willie because he was inspired by so many people early on from his dad, Willie Howard May Sr., to Leo DeRocher, to Bill Greeson and all his Negro League teammates, to Piper Davis, his manager in Birmingham, and then, and then Monty Irvin, his first teammate, a Negro League legend with the uh, New York Giants. And then he came to San Francisco in 58, and he wasn't considered the guy who was being mentored. He was the guy who was mentoring because there's a young Willie McCovey and there's a young Orlando Cepeda, years later, a young Bobby Bonds, the Alou brothers. So from then till now, he's been inspiring millions. So this kind of details that journey. What's it like for you, though? Enough about Willie Mays. What about you? <laughs> I mean, it's your work, right? I mean, what what is that like to see it? It's one thing to read it. What's it like to see it? It's It's... I mean, the book was a project of a lifetime, and then this film is like part two of a project of a lifetime. I mean, I'm I'm blessed and lucky and fortunate, all those things that I was even able to develop a relationship with the great Willie Mays because of my access and my presence and my storytelling in the Chronicle. And and then when I asked him about a book, like long, long time ago, he said, I'd like to see it in classrooms. So we took it inspirationally and young adults, but it's Willie Mays, so all generations and, um, you know, from from nine to 90 or whatever plus um, would be interested in hearing about Mays because everyone's got a Willie Mays story. I mean, there were a thousand people in the audience at the premiere at the Castro a couple of days before it came out on HBO. And I guarantee everybody in the crowd had a Willie Mays story. And when I reached out to people for comments about Willie for the sake of the book and teammates, Negro League legends, managers, commissioners, presidents, musicians, artists, everybody called back. As opposed to maybe when I ask comment on a story I'm doing for the Chronicle, if you get five out of 10 people responding to your query, that's a good day. But with Mays, you, you bat a thousand. It's pretty amazing. Well, it also takes me back to if Willie never leaves New York. If certain play, if certain Dodger players never leave New York, and that gets me back to where we started this thing, you know, if you're a good team, let's say the Cincinnati Bengals, they'll never call you a small market team. Now, if you're a good team and you're the Cincinnati Reds, same city, now you're a small market team. We've got to figure out how to not be so regional. We've got to figure out how to not be talking about big markets, small markets. Because, yeah, Willie Mays' greatness shouldn't have mattered that it got lost once he moved to San Francisco and a lot of people, obviously, a different time. We didn't have cable television. We didn't have packages where we can watch every game. We didn't have these things, cell phones. I mean, that's the one thing that no matter where you play, I mean, Julio Rodriguez today, John, is going to win the Rookie of the Year in the American League, and he pl he plays in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> We've got to figure out how eyeballs are on him throughout the entire season and just not when his team shows up to play against the Yankees and the Red Sox in the Northeast. 
How do you do that, though? I mean, you mentioned uh, what if Willie Mays never left New York? How about this one? What if, what if Willie Mays didn't sign with the Giants? You know, his dad said he couldn't sign anywhere with a big league team. And this was three years after Jackie Robinson broke in in 1950 when he graduated high school. The Yankees were there. The Red Sox were there. The Boston Braves were there. The Giants were there, of course. And the Brooklyn Dodgers were there. I mean, he was recommended by Jackie Robinson to the front office because Jackie came by on a barnstorming tour and visited Rickwood Field. And he saw a young Willie Mays. He said, hey, you should check this kid out. As I say in the film, a, a scout named Wid Matthews visited Birmingham, spent a couple of days scouting young Willie Mays and came back to Brooklyn. And his scouting report was, the kid can't hit a curveball. So imagine if he came back with, hey, you know what? We should sign this guy. And you can't hit a curveball was kind of code for the color of a skin doesn't work for us because we already got a quota of two or four. Back then, you had you didn't have one or three because African American players roomed together. They didn't stay in the same hotel, you know. Didn't take the team bus. Didn't eat in the same restaurant. So there were only two and four because they roomed together, you know, somewhere else. And so the Dodgers had their quota. So Willie Mays can't hit a curveball. But imagine that the Dodgers might not have lost a game in the '60s. Well, think about Hank Aaron. If he's playing in the Northeast and not playing for the Braves, is a guy who at one point had the most home runs, most RBIs, and a lot of people don't think about this, the third most hits. Only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb had more hits than the great Hank Aaron, and he was very good defensively. What if Willie and Hank were both playing in the Northeast their entire career? Yeah, and I think Hank was real close to signing with the New York Giants, but it was only a few dollars difference, and and the Braves offered a little more. I mean, listen, the Northwest, they didn't they have uh, the big unit and, and Griffey and A-Rod, A-Rod together yeah. at some point? Yeah. I mean, they were pretty darn good. They were really the talk of baseball. But it, it's harder because free agents don't want to go to Seattle. In the NBA, they might not want to go to Sacramento. It, it's kind of far off the beaten path. And you can only get so much if you – you know, unless you outspend everybody, but it's not like Seattle's outspending everybody like the Mets will or the Yankees will or the Dodgers will. And let's bring this full circle and take it back to Christmas. I like a good gift for A's fans. Long shot, building homes, dreams, and baseball teams. Steve Schott, the book you did about the former owner of the Oakland Athletics, I think for a generation of A's fans, the 2000s, right, Moneyball team, all those players are so beloved. When we just celebrated them this year, the 2002 team, it was very emotional for A's fans. You know, we can talk about the 70s, but, you know, there's a lot of people in our fan base that weren't alive then. I mean, like my man Cody here, who is a producer for the A's, he doesn't remember 88, 89, and 90. He was a baby. I mean, that was when I was in high school. That's my that's my guys, right? I mean, when I get to do TV with Dave Stewart, I'm like, wow, it's Dave Stewart. But for <laughs> but for a lot of our fans, it's that group of Giambi, Tejada, Hudson, Mulder, and Zito, Chavez, and all those guys. And your book is about that era. So I think for A's fans, you're always looking. I always mention this. You're looking for a really good Christmas gift. 
long shot, building homes, dreams, and baseball teams, the Steve Schott story, your book, I think would be great for people to give away as gifts for A's fans for Christmas. Well, thanks, Chris. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's long shot. It's it, it take off on his name, but it's also deep with the Oakland A's, always a long shot, always overcoming the odds, always getting more bang for their buck. And it kind of tells an inside inside story that neither the Moneyball book nor movie did with Paul D. Podesta, who, you know, in the movie wasn't Paul D. Podesta because he didn't even want his name attached. But for the book, he writes an amazing forward. And he puts it all out there and explains that he and Billy Bean were given the task of designing a roster with a you know a certain amount of parameters and budget because Schott and Hoffman bought the team from the Haas family, which wasn't real big on budgets, so it was um, turned into more of a business plan. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that that people really didn't know about. I didn't even know about, and I covered the team that was uncovered about Lon Simmons. Um, and, you know, he got a, he got kind of a raw deal there because everyone blamed him and he is to blame shot. But the funny story there is he never wanted Lon Simmons fired. You know, Lon Simmons said in a newspaper story before the season, before, you know, right after his final season in Oakland that he wanted to cut back on games played. And then shots uh, team president at the time, and it wasn't Sandy Alderson called him up and said, okay, we're moving in another direction. And Schott said, wait a minute. No, no, we didn't want that. We just wanted fewer games, like Lon said in this newspaper article. So it was, it was, you know, it, he, he got a lot of bad PR for some good reasons. He wasn't used to meeting with the media all the time about baseball. He was, uh, you know, he, he, he built homes and, and, you know, nobody has big press conferences if you build homes. So <laughs> anyway, you know, it's kind of a, it was kind of a, the richest story about a guy who had 500 bucks in his pocket when he got married and then went on to donate more than a hundred million dollars in charity and buy a baseball team. He, he has the winningest record of any A's owner in history going back to Philly and Kansas city and even Finley and the Haas family doesn't measure up with his winning percentage. If you remember, they contended six straight years after really scuffling those first two years. And he kind of pushed for, you got you got to draft more pitchers. We you know we can't have Van landing them out, out not Van landing them. Who am I thinking of? The uh, uh, Van Poppel. Sorry, <laughs> neither amounted to much. Todd Van, Van Poppel. Yeah, and and that was like the face of the future. He said, "No, man, we got to go different direction." So you know, uh, Hudson Mulder Zito, and all those years later, they developed quite a staff. And and same with Giambi, and same with Tejada. Speak about homegrown talent i mean the a's had it at that at that point but obviously lost the two mvps to free agency and eventually traded a couple of the pitchers and we know that story but this has a lot deeper um you know into the business practices into the baseball practices uh, uh, a lot of family background so it kind of touches on a lot of things also an inspirational read like the maze book well, congratulations on everything. HBO, books, you name it. Of course, reading you in the San Francisco Chronicle. We always appreciate it because you're our national baseball writer. You're giving us stuff nobody else is. And, of course, great stuff from the GM meetings in Vegas. We're going to be getting the same stuff. We'll be there in San Diego down at the winter meetings. We know we'll see you there. Good stuff. And uh, let's go sell some books. 
<laughs> well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good seeing you guys. Take care, buddy. The great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle does an unbelievable job. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm sure Bobby Evans is going to agree with me. During, during the football season, I'm trying to sell my AL Cy Young Award winners on RA9 War and a opposition ex-WOBA. Bobby, how am I going to sell our great game of baseball? They're talking touchdowns and interceptions and scores, and I'm talking RA9 war to the public. How are you, my friend? Hey, it's great to see you. A lot of great A's, A's paraphernalia there. How do you like this? This is our new setup here in the whole, this is our little A's studio. It's impressive. I like it. You guys look like you're ready to go. You look like you're left. <laughs> we got the Coliseum, Ricky Henderson Field in the background. We've uh, we've stepped our game up. So how have you been? It's been a while since we last talked to you. Uh, doing great, doing great. Uh, staying busy with uh, a lot of activity. You know, three kids, two in high school now. One a senior, one a freshman, and a and a young elementary school student. So we've got a couple of sports going for each of them at all times. So it's uh, it's nonstop and. Uh, following the free agent market, following these uh, team opening, uh, really anxious to see uh, how the offseason is going to go. It's uh, it's nice to have a normal offseason. We don't have to worry about a CBA. Yeah, you know, we just talked about that with our broadcaster, Vince Catronio. You know, um, last year with the lockout, it seemed like right after the lockout, for certain teams, you know, we all fish in different ponds. Like, there's the big pond that has all the star players, the big money players. And then you got the smaller pond that's got good players, but it's a much smaller pond, and they're not making the same amount of money. And that's usually where the A's make their hay, and there's a lot of other teams who make their hay in that pond. But that pond seemed like, you know, with the lockout, that it was shut down. And it was tough to really find players in such a quick time for last year, which I'm now happy we're back to everybody can fish wherever the heck they want. <laughs> right, right. Well, those are the guys you're trying to find with high upside that, you know, that might take a one-year deal that, you know, less risk for the club, but perhaps some high upside and get maybe some injuries have held them back or maybe they, uh, you know, their value is down for whatever reason. And, you know, you bring your system, your manager, your coaching staff, your philosophy uh, into their game, and maybe it, it's a game changer. And so that's one of the reasons that's very attractive for a lot of clubs, including, you know, some high market clubs, but the, you know, they don't always have the opportunities. And so the, the smaller market clubs actually have opportunities to give those guys, and that's where they can take advantage of it. We're kind of seeing a sea change. I don't know how much it's going to change back. But we're hearing about organizations saying, you know what, we really need to blend this, the analytics with scouting. We kind of kicked a little bit of the scouting to the curb. Now we're bringing it back. We're seeing the old school managers. Obviously, look at the two men that were in the World Series. You know Dusty Baker real well. Your old manager that you won World Series with, Bruce Bochy, back in the game in Texas. So 
They tried to all go young, all go analytics, front offices and managers. Now we're seeing experience, maturity come back, leaders of men. First off, what would you think about Boach returning to Texas? Yeah, I mean, it was great timing. I mean, you've got a chance to play uh, or, man, or manage for a, a guy that used to uh, used to play for you and Chris Young. And, you know, it's a great fit. I mean, it's the only guy I think in baseball that could make Bruce Bochy look small in a press conference, um, <laughs> you know, being that he's, he's – he's, Chris is a large man. Um, but I think it's great. I mean, Bochy has been very close to all of his general managers over the years. He's had a very good – good and close relationship a long time with Kevin Towers there in San Diego. And then of course, Brian with the giants and now to have CY, I mean, that's just, that's great for Boach. And I know that he's hungry. I mean, sitting out the last, you know, what, three years, uh, you know, he's hungry to get back. He missed it. Um, you know, I think he, he's tasted that success and you have a team now that's got, you know, they got some ramp up to do. I mean, they, they've added some good guys last off season, but it didn't go well. Uh, so now they are here. They are trying to add again, really on the pitching side, in hopes that they can put themselves over the top. You know, to me, so many times I really learned this from Bob Melvin, and obviously we've seen Melvin have the continued success wherever he goes now in San Diego. There is just something about relationships. It's handling the men. There's a lot of things going on inside the clubhouse. Guys have issues away from the field, whether it's, you know, marriage, kids, girlfriends, uh, parents, health of family members. There's always something going on. And what people, as we got so into this world of analytics and that's all that matters, people forget you got it's like any business. It doesn't matter if you're in baseball or if you're in tech or you're in finance. You still have to manage the people. People need to be managed are we now getting back to that in our game going the personal touch does matter? Well, no question. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about communicating with your players. It's building that trust. Uh, you know, and I think that the managers who have, you know, been successful, you know, even in, even whether they're more, you know, analytically focused or not, it, it ultimately comes down to the relationship with the players and, you know, building that trust and, and nobody better at it than a, a Dusty Baker and a Bruce Bochy and, you know, these guys understand, you know, that players have lives away from the field and they care about their guys. Uh, you know, they, they, they communicate with them in terms of whether they're getting off days or not getting off days, uh, what their role will be. Uh, there's the manager's given a chance to manage. I mean, you know, definitely front office, definitely front offices need to partner with their manager to make sure that the best information is available. But you put a manager in a position because you, you trust him to manage. And I think that we're seeing the fruits of that with some of the success that some of these clubs have had where they're not dictating every move that a manager makes. We're going to have Joe Madden on Friday. He's got a new book out with Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated yeah. where, you know, he's talking a lot about, hey, you know, there's balance. I mean, balance, as we all know in life, is a good thing. And when I think of balance, I think about your guys' great tenure in San Francisco. Obviously, you have three championship rings. Brian Sabian, there's a good chance that someday he'll go into the Baseball Hall of Fame as an executive. All the success that you've had in your illustrious career as a general manager and as an assistant general manager. How did you guys deal with scouting, analytics, the answers to the questions, balance in the organization how did you guys go about it well we made sure that every everybody had you know an understanding that their voice mattered and uh that their perception or perspective mattered uh but 
you know, Brian wanted to always emphasize that, you know, this is a, this is a, about the players, uh, ultimately what they're able to do on the field. And we don't want uh, our process or our systems or our analysis to be the focal point of what we achieve. We want to make sure it's ultimately about what the players achieve on the field, that they're on the field for a reason, uh, not because they're a number, or not because they represent a certain percentage of on base or, or, or anything else. They want to make sure that it's, uh, they understand that we believe in them, the manager believes in them. And he didn't want to, you know, talk a lot about our process and system. He wanted to talk a lot about players and make sure they were the focus. So when we won championships, that was the focus, not not us in the front office, not anything we were doing, because ultimately those are the guys making it happen. That's interesting you say that. You know, I just watched the, uh, the last dance with the Michael Jordan documentary and about the, their last shot at winning that last title. And it really was Jerry Krause, general manager of the Bulls, who really felt slighted that all of the attention went to Michael Jordan. All the attention went to this guy or it went to Phil Jackson. And that was kind of like when we started seeing in the 90s where, and I think we do see it today, where there's front office people who want to go, hey, don't forget about me. Look at me. Look at my decisions. Look at my draft picks. Look at my signings. I'm a big reason. And, yes, front office people are a big reason. But you guys did such a great job of saying, hey, it's the players who win the championship. But have you seen a little bit of a change? And, obviously, I think Billy Bean and Moneyball, a lot of these young guys saw that. They read the book. They saw the movie. They went, I want to be like that guy. Have you seen a little bit to where front office people these days want to be celebrities? Well, I mean, the contracts that, that are being handed out, you know, almost put, forced them into a celebrity role. I mean, they become the face more of the franchise than sometimes the players themselves, just because of the, the size of the contracts that are being handed out. And, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's accountability, uh, you know, on all fronts for that. I mean, some of it is, you know, ownerships are really, are really driving, you know, putting the, the, the face of the franchise, the president out there more and taking, uh, let's take more of the, the baseball side of it and not as much the, you know, the ownership. And we, you know, some owners are very silent in some cities, which I think is a shame for the players. I think owners need to be, you know, interacting and engaged with their team and not, not taking a backseat to anybody. Um, but I, I do see that. I mean, you, you know, and some of that's the media drawing attention to the philosophies that have worked and the, the strategies that have been against the grain that have been successful. And it does point cameras at those executives and i'm not sure that they're desiring that attention but it's it's a natural effect as as their unique philosophies uh, have success now i think about your career and as you said you're busy with the kids and everything i knew i know you do consulting and we'll talk about egyptian baseball coming up here which is always fascinating but in the in the climate of today's front office, is this something? I mean, you got three World Series rings. Is this something that you would like to get back into? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, similar to Boach. I mean, it's it's great to look back on what we've accomplished, but it's it's very important to accomplish the next great feat. And you know, so I I love interacting with uh, executives in the game, some players in the game, you know, some agents in the game, you know, coaches and managers. And, and following the game, you know, whether it be through local radio, TV, MLB network, I mean, it's it's still a passion. And the right situation has to come along. I mean, we're very attached to the Bay Area, so it has to be the right situation. But, yeah, you, you line up a, an opportunity, um, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. 
Well, I mean, the experience and the resume says it all for you, and uh, a, a franchise definitely w would be lucky to have you. And I, I think about, you know, the winter meetings coming up. There's going to be a, a lot of big moves made. Uh, like, like when you think about Aaron Judge, you know, everybody, everybody right now is saying they're all in. We don't know the amount of years. We don't know the price tag. We don't know how that is going to work. But what is that like from a front office standpoint where you have one player who's really setting the market, he's the marquee guy, and you know you want him, but you know a lot of other people want him. What are those negotiations like? Yeah, you, you hear a lot of the things that you want to hear from the agents, but you, you really don't know the bottom line or the bottom truth. I mean, you know, I remember, you know, we took a, a group of us, Bruce Bochy and Brian Sabian and myself, Larry Bear, Buster Posey, all to John Lester's house, you know, in Atlanta, across the country, trying to recruit him to come and, and pitch for us. But, you know, it takes, you know, one relationship, maybe one key relationship in Chicago, i.e., you know, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, you know, former executives with the Red Sox, the new Lester Best, you know, one relationship, though, can, can swing a guy. And, you know, when you're talking about an Aaron Judge, you're, you're talking about pinstripes, you're talking about legacy, Roger Maris, Yankee Stadium, the difference between Yankee Stadium and, and Oracle Park. So you know you have a hill to climb, and, you, you know, you're going to pull out all the stops to try to, to lure him to you, but there's, you know, he's 31 years old. There's only so many years you want to put on a contract. There's only so much of an AAV you want to put on a contract. And you already know that the Yankees are interested in, in bringing the legacy back. And so, uh, you know, you're going to be prepared for second and third options, but you're going to pursue hard that first option as long as you can without giving up on the others. Do you really want to get it done before the winter meetings and before the circus starts in San Diego? Or is that something that probably most of these teams are just, hey, we're going to have to try and get this thing done once we get to uh, San Diego? Yeah, I mean, the clubs, unfortunately, just can't dictate it. I mean, the the, the agent, you know, is is building a market. Uh, he's, 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 he's getting a lot of uh, information from clubs, a lot of uh, data points, and, you know, they're going to have to determine the, the pace. Um, you know, we try to provide the destination. They give us the sense of timing. And uh, sometimes that works to the club's advantage, and sometimes it doesn't because, you know, if other guys are going off the board, it can really pull and, and tug at you in terms of what, you, what you're going to get done if you, if you stay too focused on one guy. And um, my sense is we've seen, you know, some of these offers be substantial enough that, you know, uh, get, deals were getting done before the winter meetings uh, in, in recent years. Uh, this may be a year where it's a little slower. It seems like I'm hearing that the, the clubs are, are ready to spend. And if they're ready to spend, I would think that there's a chance more deals will get done either at the winter meetings or a little before. If you're running the Angels and you knew Shohei Otani makes you millions upon millions of dollars in advertising from Japan and all the money he brings in, merchandise, I mean, he is just an absolute cash cow for the angels but what if somebody above you says we got to trade him how tough would that be to get value for not only the player but what he brings in from a monetary standpoint and then now you're just getting minor league players for him yeah, i mean it's breaking as a baseball guy to to see talent like that go out the door and and you've really you really want to be in a position where someone has to overwhelm you 
because I mean, he's a guy to build your future on, you know, both sides of the ball, you know, pitching and, and offense. And so it's such a unique talent. I mean, you know, despite all of what he brings in in terms of revenue and fan interest, you know, what he means to a ball club and that clubhouse, the way he goes about his job, he's, he's young, he's got so much potential for the future. Uh, you've got him for a long time if you can lock him up. And, you know, he brings, he brings it every day. He brings a great attitude. He's a, he's a presence, you know, in your lineup. He's a presence in your rotation. That's very hard to replace on a, from the baseball side. So you really want to be in a position where you're not forced to, to deal him. Uh, but you, you, do, you do sometimes get in a position where if, if there is an openness to making a move or you're not planning to re-sign him, that you try to get as much, much in return as you can that ultimately would overwhelm you. But I, I don't know how you could get enough, uh, to be honest. It could be a very tough a tough sell. Well, back in 2019, we had you on the show down in San Diego at the Manchester High at the winter meetings, and we learned about Egyptian baseball. Fascinating. And as we talked about then, I'm sure we're going to talk about now, at some point we're going to see some of these kids. We don't know when, but they'll make it to Major League Baseball. I know COVID shut the world down. I don't know how it maybe paused it for a little bit. Where are we now? Well, yeah, when it, when it started in 2017, I think we had maybe 40 children uh, in, in Egypt. I mean, this is an effort to bring uh, baseball to the Middle East, really through youth baseball, where a lot of the major league efforts are more generating, you know, the, the higher uh, sort of world baseball classic level, if you will, uh, where this is much more of a youth effort. And, and baseball partnered with us this, this past um a year to to bring an event to Egypt where we were able to reintroduce uh, our programs post-COVID. And, you know, just before COVID, we were up to 2,500 kids in Egypt playing baseball. And, you know, we really like to see that, you know, double or more in 2023. Uh, we've gotten some, you know, some participation from Major League Baseball, even, you know, Corey Guerin from the from the Giants uh, previously, you know, went over with us this past, past year, uh, was able to get an exposure to the, the kind of enthusiasm that we're seeing. Um, we understand it's rudimentary. There's, there's a lot of work to do, uh, but they're working with us in their phys ed class, classes in the local schools. They're working with us through clinics, working through teaching the coaches to coach the game. And there's some good, some good athletes over there. So it's a lot of fun. I mean, especially knowing that this is just the beginning um, and uh, the passion is to make sure that there's a, you know, there's a common language between you know, the Middle East and the West. And here we are you know, using baseball to be that common language. It's fascinating. And a lot of people need to understand, you know, a, a game that's played around the world is cricket. And there's some guys that absolutely can wing it in cricket. And you just wonder, can we translate that? Can I mean, because clearly these cricket players, you know, it's kind of like what I know Billy Bean has talked about. He's like, you know, some of these guys that he's watching in Europe play soccer, like the body types, these guys could be receivers, safeties in football with their speed and their size. I mean, do you see like what you see over cricket going, man, look at some of these guys, they can make great baseball players. Yeah. I mean, we're working with kids that are kind of, uh, you know, not quite maybe a few teenagers, but a lot of 12 and under kids. And yeah, I mean, you, you see athleticism. I mean, that's what you, you know, what's what, you, what excites you. I mean, they're picking up, you know, how to throw a ball and how to catch the ball and how to hit the ball in such a short time. And they don't, it's not like they see the game a ton, so, yeah, I mean, you feel like you've got a good uh, uh, assortment of athletes and, and there's a lot of you know, young women, young girls interested in playing, too. In fact, in fact, I sometimes feel like the young girls are 
is is interested or even more interested than some of the boys. I think some of the boys see it, you know, this game's hard. Let me go back to soccer, you know, and, um, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of interest. And I think that the, uh, you know, the fun part for us is just that parents, you know, are really engaged too. I mean, the parents are getting out on the field and taking ground balls and, and learning the game themselves so they can play with their kids. And I had one dad come up to me in Egypt this past year um, earlier this year. And he said, you know, do you know what happened to my son after, after you guys were here last time? And I was like, no, tell me. He's like, well, you know, we bought RBI baseball on our PS4 and he's been playing, have, setting up his own team. And he's, he's bought the MLB package and he's watching games and he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an absolute baseball nut now. And he's like, this was just from you guys coming over, you know, just before the pandemic. And, you know, it's, I think that, you know, I was, I was actually speaking with, um, uh, Dave Cavill with the Cabal with the A's. And he said, you know, he feels like youth baseball is probably a great place to, to really push the game. And we, we spent a lot of time working with older kids, but really he, he would love to see us do more internationally with youth baseball because, you know, kids can, you know, take this game and run with it. And, and you know, and I know they're doing some of that in, in the basics of the, even San Francisco, but I think more and more doing youth baseball efforts are, are probably the best thing for our game. Yeah, I got to tell you, I know people try and bag on baseball, but when you look at diversity inside our game and how people are from all over the world playing our game, I mean, we were just talking about one of our top players is from Japan. I mean, we have people from all over the world, and what you guys are doing, you're planting that seed that's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow, and hopefully in our careers we'll see our game even grow more globally. But people do forget. All the Australian guys that we got. I mean, we've had quite a few of them here with the A's. Yeah. We've had yeah. players from all over the world playing our game. Well, that's why that's why it's a World Series. I mean, it's not a World Series because we're playing other nations or other countries. We're playing with the best players from all those nations, and that's why it's a World Series. Great stuff. I'm sure we're going to see in San Diego, right? I hope so. That'd be great. I love it. Hey, we always appreciate the time. You be well. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Great. Bobby Evans joined us right here on A's Cast Live, three-time World Series champion. The great Vince Catronio joins us here on A's Cast Live. Vinny, how are you? I'm good, Tony. Good to see you. Good to see you, Cody. About four and a half hours north of Jim Crane, there is another owner that plays GM. Not quite as successful in another sport, but it does seem like Jim Crane is, like you mentioned, very aggressive and I mean, six years in the ALCS, two World Series seems to work out. I know Cowboy fans would be begging just to get to one one Super Bowl for the first time in forever. Yeah, I, this article that was ESPN.com, and, I, you know, it's kind of like trying to paint Crane as this villain guy. But obviously after the scandal and just knowing, having, having worked for the Raiders, knowing how Al Davis ran things, but then on the flip side, and of course the Raiders had great success years ago, and then now you look how uh, the Golden State Warriors are run. Joe Lacob is so hands-on. Then you got owners that are so hands-off. It's always interesting to see when fans and when media likes the owners super involved and when they want them to be just in the background. I think the important thing is if you're a fan, I don't care how the how don't care how the sausage is made, just win. And if it means that the owner is very much hands-on and very much involved on an almost day-by-day basis, and that works, uh, don't don't stop doing that. The other way, if 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 it's work with the owner 
staying in the background, uh, trusting uh, the staff that he's put in place to get the job done, you know, they'll take that as well. I, I know that's, uh, I think from a fan's perspective, that's the way they see it. I don't want to blindside you on this. We started the show with it because we, <laughs> we were just talking about um, when we're going to be down at the winter meetings and all the dates because we were talking about the Rule 5 draft is going to happen. We just talked about the guys, um, uh, Harris and Butler, who were protected and the guys who were not. We went through that. And then I said to Cody, wait a minute. Before we get there on the 5th, there's something on the 4th. There's something like, what is it? And then, oh, yeah, the Contemporary Veterans Committee, whatever. Can you imagine? Because really everybody's going to show up Sunday night and be ready to rock on Monday morning. Can you imagine on December 4th, right at the start of the winter meetings, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are getting elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame? What that will be like, all these winter meetings – do you think we've ever seen anything like that before for winter meetings? Well, given the way people have interpreted the way the game has been played for the last two decades, it will be something that uh, there's going to be a lot of lot of conversation about. A lot of conversation from the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, guys that go back, uh, you know, many many years, stars of the you know 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then guys that in the 90s and 2000s and what the perception is of somebody like Barry or Roger. I haven't looked. I don't remember. I know they were close in terms of vote percentage the, the last time, and it seems like when you get to a certain threshold, somewhere in the 65% plus, you've got a, you've got a pretty good chance to get to 75%. Uh, I think, to me, you know, the response will be, what, what will I hear from, again, the old-school guys that are all intro- introduced on the dais, when they have the introductions in July, I, I know if you watch the the Willie Mays uh, special on HBO this past couple of days, it was out there. Barry Bonds was heavily involved in that. Barry Bonds was uh, very loquacious, uh, smiling, willing to uh, engage. Certainly, the, the the subject had a lot to do with that. He was as close to Willie as it was to his dad, maybe even closer in, in some respects. And he was open and he was willing to talk about those kinds of things. Is that version of Barry Bonds somebody that we're going to see down in San Diego? I I just don't know, but I think it's uh, it's interesting debate. It's interesting conversation. You know what they did on the field in a time where a lot of people were involved in a different style of of uh, say preparing yourself to play the game and 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 recovering after a game and what they did for you during the game. Uh, every to me every era going back to the you know, to the aughts, you know, to the 1910s, all the way up and until where we are today, uh, a century later, had issues, whether uh, players of color were not allowed, amphetamines were heavily used, other things along the lines, uh, different travel, etc. cetera. Uh, you can make a case that every era has its, had its own uh, interpretation of how they played the game previous to, to before them. I do think that, uh, you know, Bonds and Clemens will – I think at some point, if not this time, I think they will eventually reach the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's going to take. Uh, I think it's going to take years. I think it's going to happen pretty pretty quickly. Can you imagine how hard it's going to get that, to be to get into that uh, press conference there in San Diego if it yeah. happens and those two guys show up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, they at times they downplay what the Hall of Fame means to them. Let's make no mistake. I mean, yeah. It, it means the world to those guys. We just saw this week Pete Rose against sending a letter of apology to Rob Manford, just begging to, to be a part of, of 
of what it means to be to officially call a Hall of Famer, even though so many other people have said, you know, you are a Hall of Famer, Pete. You're a Hall of Famer, Barry. You're a Hall of Famer, Roger. But until you're standing on that dais, until you're making that speech with your peers at the highest level of that hall, which isn't, you know, which is voted on by writers. Let's let's, you know, let's let's be clear about what the Hall of Fame actually is. It's, you know, it's it's put on a certain pedestal by some people. But the reality is it's it's a place where it's voted on by by baseball writers and you get a chance to to in, to enrich yourself in baseball history. So, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think when I was I mean, this, this is crazy because what's happening in today's world. When when I was in SID at the University of Central Florida back in the early 80s, we Foot, had a that, press that's conference. football power. Yeah, that's that's right. We're 16th of the country, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but back then, we had a, a press conference that was attended by, I would say, close to 200 people nationwide. And the reason why Herschel Walker landed via helicopter on our practice field, walked into the press conference as a member of the New Jersey Generals and the USFL because they were training at our, at our facility. So I think you're going to see you're going to see something of that magnitude, you see something that big in terms of every every type of not just sports. I think you'll see people across other ways of, of gathering news will be there as well. Uh, the good old days of the USFL. Let's see. <laughs> Steve Young was in L.A. Reggie White was in Tennessee. Oh, the good old days. We uh, had Brian Sype. Brian Sype was with the New Jersey Generals. The great San Diego State Aztec, Brian Sype. <laughs> <Right>, exactly. <laughs> when you think about what we just heard from the general manager meetings and David Forrest talked to J.P. Perosi. We all love uh, J.P., great guy. He talked about David and he talked to David and David talked about, you know, we're not going to break the bank, but they're going to spend a little more money. So, okay, Vince, we're going to sprinkle a little more money into this thing. What would you like to see the A's do to help us get a little more competitive? Well, I I think uh, like David said to to JP Morosi, there are a number of places that you can, that you can try to play somebody that, that would give you an improvement. I think uh, at either corner, you have to establish you know, who, who's going to be your first baseman or your third baseman? There was some success uh, to a certain degree, a little bit watching Dermis Garcia, one of 12 different guys play first base. Seth Brown right now is probably going to get the lion's share of that time. What's going to happen at third base? The Mile Machine gave the A's, you know, quality at bats, but not a lot of power, not a lot of range. That doesn't really profile as a first division third baseman, either corner outfielder. I think somebody out there you could you can look for that has some power. I think you need velocity in your bullpen, and that is certainly something we've talked about for years. That's something that's uh, lacking for the athletics. I, I don't think there's any spot really, Chris, that that you can't go to and, and say let's if, if let's look at this particular player players and see if they can help. Now the question is is it is it guys that are you know basically four A players anyway that are guys that have been up and down that have a little bit of a baseball resume on the major league level or is it somebody that uh, are you willing to be aggressive and and look at somebody like a mitch hanniger who now is looking for work who's from san jose uh after teoscar hernandez was acquired by the seattle mariners he's had injuries two of the last three years he made seven million last year uh that's a lot of money in terms of what the a's have done the past couple of years but would that number stay there would it potentially come down with with uh with different types of incentives inside that contract what about a guy like a joey gallo same thing hit 160 last year with the yankees and the dodgers did hit 19 home runs the A's didn't love him worked about the coliseum when he was a high school kid in las vegas 
I'm not saying either one of these are going to happen, but those are guys that have had a little more of a, of a juicier major league resume. Are you going to look for guys like that that are coming off of down years or have had injuries? Or are you looking simply the guys that have kind of bounced up and down that have had a little bit of success and, and let those guys plug in as you're waiting for Zach Yeloff, while you're waiting for Tyler Soderstrom, while you're waiting for other players maybe to make their way through the system like, like Lawrence uh, Butler or Denzel Clark, uh, guys of that nature. To quote Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland A already. All those names, <laughs> I'll take all of them. We've been floating around. What about Cody Bellinger opening day? I don't know. We get him opening day. We play him in center first base. I would like to have the option. Sure. I mean, the, the, the question is what other teams are going to look at a guy like that if he, in fact, he's non-tendered in the next couple of days, which was the rumor last year. And it didn't happen with Cody. Signed a one-year deal. Again, had a struggling year. Certainly has a resume, you know, MVP, Rookie of the Year. Uh, some kid named Dominic Catronio used to broadcast his high school games down here in, in Arizona. So that'd be a great connection for those two guys to get back together. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, it's interesting, you know, what was so different about last year, Chris, was because of the lockout and because the A's were, were forced to make deals, uh, they, that, that this was the plan they had in place, and they were forced to do it in a very cramped, situation getting it done leading into and during spring training as we found out and every one of those players were were going to be free agents at the end of the year now the conversation shifts because there's been uh some smoke and mirrors out there even jp morosi uh presented that to david about sean murphy sean murphy has three years of control uh you have a chance whether it's sean murphy or if you had those players last year in this environment that allowed you to work the phones longer, allowed you to develop a little bit of a, well, this is my offer from this from this team. I can get something better from that team and get that other team to maybe sweeten the pot or specifically somebody you were looking for in a package that wasn't being offered yet. They didn't have that opportunity. They really had to rush through Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, you know, uh, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, and then eventually with Frankie Montas during the season. All those guys were going to be gone. This is different. If you're if if Sean Murphy is somebody that's being discussed, and certainly teams would would welcome him, boy, you've you've got to first of all, he's a tremendous talent, and I hate to see him go. I mean, he's top five catcher in baseball for me. If you're going to do that because you feel like Shay Langoliers is is ready to to begin that process of establishing himself as a major league catcher, then you you can't you can't get that wrong. Wh- whatever that means, does that mean we? We can't get it wrong because we're going to get the what we feel like are these several strong prospects. We can't get it wrong because we're going to get one or two guys that are not only going to be major league players on opening day 2023, but guys that you can count on, guys that you expect to be uh, uh, good level performers and maybe even better than that as their careers play on. I, I think that's going to be the conversation that's going to dominate what's happening for the A's with their roster leading up to and into spring training. Yeah, to kind of expand on that, you like to explain that in a normal offseason, you're going fishing. And over here, this big pond has some really big fish, right? I mean, that judge fish is the biggest fish I've ever seen. That Correa fish is that. There's some big Rodon, uh, Verlander. You got some big fish over here. A's are not going to fish in that part, in that pond. Now, over here, this smaller pond, I can get some good fish that taste good and can help me out. The problem was last year after the lockout, they closed that pond. Really wasn't around. 
So right. I, I look at this year being different to try and explain going, you know, everybody's going to be back to just fishing on this big pond and where we do our best work was kind of closed last year. Now it's back open for us. Right. And certainly the A's have been a team that have, have expertly handled that way of doing business and, and identifying uh, players and pitchers that could step in and provide, you know, some consistency to your ball club and eventually make you a winning and playoff team, which they did in, you know, 18, 19 and 20. Now where they are at this point and what they went through in 2022, losing 102 games and 64 players and over 30 rookies and over you know, 20 rookie pitchers, things of that nature, uh, that, that lends to the idea that it's still going to take some time. So where are you in that process if you're the A's? Are you understanding that we're going to just kind of grind through another year? Because when the A's were struggling in 15, 16, 17, you knew that Chapman was coming. You knew that Olsen was coming and they were going to, you believed, and as it proved to be, they were very good major league players. And they were going to be part of what could make you better. The A's have not identified that, at least not with who they had on the major league roster last year. They, you know, they took a shot with Christian Pache. Jury very much out on him coming over from Atlanta. Nick Allen has shown he can defend with just about anybody at shortstop. Will he be able to hit? But aside from that, it was a bunch of players that were kind of pieced in there and see can they can they you know keep themselves above water. So now are you saying, boy, we want we hope to see Zach Geloff by July if he's healthy. Maybe Tyler Soderstrom comes to the big leagues in August or September. I mean, he already got to AAA briefly. Last year at age 20, he shows power. Where are they going to play him? Is he a catcher? Is he a first baseman? Do you then maybe even take a step further and say, you know what? We want to make Tyler Soderstrom our everyday left fielder. I'm just saying, again, I'm just throwing this out there, only because if you like the bat so much and you and you believe the bat can hold its own, you got to find that position for him that fits the A's at a place that he could stay at for years to come. And so I think the question is, where are the A's in, in that in that situation? And then with Ginn and with Hoagland and with uh, also Ryan Cusick, they need innings. They got to pitch. Mason Miller has to pitch. Hogan Harris may be moving forward. Colin Palouse may get some opportunities this year. These young guys have got to have a season. I mean, they only pitched 40 innings each, Cusick and JT Ginn last year. That was a – I want to say it was a disaster, but it was certainly – unfortunate that the A's had they as they acquired these players and acquire these pitchers the idea was let's watch these guys develop because they came out of good college programs have uh, you know dynamic arms that maybe maybe they could push forward and I know this is a reach but maybe you see them becoming somebody like a Logan Gilbert or George Kirby from Seattle guys that pitched uh, successfully in college got a lot of innings in college and then were fast-tracked through the system, in part because of ability, and certainly a main part of it was health. And that's something that's kind of derailed some of those guys. But still, maybe 2023 is going to be that year where you see those guys excel, stay healthy, rock it through the system, and be poised to be a part of uh, what would be good things to come in 24 and beyond. All right, look into your crystal ball. <laughs> the, the Vince Catronio crystal ball. Because the rally monkey... Your old neighbor, Nolan Ryan, right here. We're all <laughs> listening. I would like a big prediction this offseason. What could be happening? What do you see? Give me one big, bold prediction that could happen maybe down in San Diego at the winter meetings. 
Wow. I mean, that's that's a very loaded question. I don't, to me, I don't think Aaron Judge is going anywhere. I think he's going to be with the Yankees. I, I, I just see that's going to be put together. You mentioned a lot of free agents before. One name you didn't mention was Trey Turner. And I think Trey Turner is a guy that that's going to be interesting. Does he does he go east? Does he become a Cardinal? Does he become a Philadelphia Philly? Is that is because he wants to move back toward the East Coast? Or or uh, this is a big this is a big ask because the Angels, as we saw yesterday with Tyler Anderson, uh, they've got Rendon now supposedly healthy at second base. Do they go aggressive? and go after Trey Turner to be their shortstop. They've got a hole there, certainly, to put Fletcher at second base. So we'll, 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 we'll see, you know, how aggressive a team that's for sale with a manager that was an interim manager last year that was basically given the job this year, in part because the team's in, you know, kind of in a waiting period of who's going to own the team moving forward. Uh, Trey Turner, to me, is going to be, the I think, as interesting a guy as anybody for the winter meetings. The Rally Monkey... As a question, he asked, <laughs> can Trey Turner pitch, too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end on this. Did you see MLB Now today? I did not. I'm not I'm not a big MLB Now fan. Okay, there's a trivia question. I did not get this right, and it's going to shock you. It's, it's almost pathetic. Go ahead, give Vince a question. Let's see if he gets it right. Uh, Vince, which team had the fewest amount of games where a pitcher won 100 pitches? It's sad, Vince. It really is. It's like I can't even believe we're asking this question. Uh, team with the fewest number of starts were what, less than 100 pitches? Yeah, team with the fewest starts of at least 100 pitches in 2022. I'm guessing it's the green and gold. That is close. Not, that I is, guess that too. Yeah, because we watch it, and I what? He's only at sixty nine pitches. I was with you. The A's actually had. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. The A's had sixteen different times where a guy won at least a hundred pitches. Sixteen. We only had sixteen. There's <laughs> a, the team that had three is a team that models themselves like us. That be the Tampa, Tampa Bay, Bay Rays. Race. Can you name Tampa the? Race? Can you name the two guys that have done it? One guy did it twice, and there's one other guy. For for the Rays, the hundred pitches. Let's see. Uh, uh, did McClanahan do it? He did it twice. So you got to get the other guy. And uh, well, Tony didn't get it. I, I would have never guessed this guy either. Ryan Yarbrough, just by by mistake. Uh, not the guy that was just recently DFA. No, the answer is Jeffrey Springs is the other guy. Didn't yeah, Yar- okay. Yarbrough almost threw a, the perfect game? He didn't have a hundred pitches in that game. Uh, no, it was oh. just three guys. The Diamond or the Dodgers Sad. were second with six. The Pirates were third with nine. Tony, let me ask you this, because I know you've you've harped on this for a while, and we are where we are in terms of how the game is played and how the game is managed or how they look at before the first pitch is thrown, how they want to see that game move forward. How did you look at the postseason this year from that perspective? I went back and looked at the postseason starts, and I was surprised to see, especially early with the wild card rounds, that there were more six-inning starts than I had thought there were going to be, six and seven. Luis Castillo, Joe Musgrove, even Zach Wheeler did it three times. I was surprised because of all this noise about guys are going two or three innings. I know Syndergaard, you know, he, he struggled in Ranger Suarez and things of that nature. And, you know, Verlander had a, a bad start in, in the first round of their playoffs. But what did you see? Did it give you any any hope that a good pitching staff, like we saw that that, that got as far as they did, actually stayed with their starters. You Darvish did it a couple of times for the Padres as yeah. well. 
Yeah, you know, you, you know what I was thinking about that, Vince? And the answer for me is, look who's running their franchises. As Bob Melvin has told me, A.J. Preller, a former scout, they blend analytics with a whole lot of scouting. If you look at the certain teams, you don't look at Philadelphia, Dave Dombrowski. You start looking at the teams, you start going, huh, it's what this article is about the Astros. Jim Crane, your old buddy Jeff Bagwell, he wants to start mixing more scouting in with the analytics. So I'm surprised. I'm not surprised you don't see the Dodgers do that at all. And when the Dodgers are in their last game and they're getting thrown out of the playoffs, they got a bunch of guys coming out of the bullpen making seven hundred and twenty or seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But yet the teams that have more scouting involved, their pitchers went longer in the postseason. So it doesn't shock me. And maybe just maybe I don't know. We'll have to wait. Now that there's a lot of different people talking about, eh, you know, we got to get kind of get more of a balance than just all analytics, all scripted. Maybe just maybe we'll see a little more of it. Maybe. Well, I mean, it's a copycat league, right? We'll see if that's a, a, a path that would have a little more reach than what we've seen the past couple of years. I don't think it's going to go back to the, you know, to the seventies and eighties, yeah. but I think it has a chance to, to have a little more uh, of, of, teams that have good starters that they're willing to let them go, you know, through six innings, by the way, a little, little love to the folks at last dive bar today. Uh, it's a little chilly here in Phoenix. It's, it's about 67 degrees. I had to wear a hoodie today. Six, oh Safe. my God. You guys hunkered in at 67. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you guys, are, are you, are, are your animals able to go out and go to the bathroom? <laughs> I had to put blankets over all the plants outside make sure they didn't freeze the whole nine yards. Uh, how's that power draw coming? Uh, I've played one round of golf since I've been home. What? One round. Hit balls a few times. Shot 81, which was good on the home course. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'll play a little bit. I reached out to uh, Mike Gallego. We're going to try to play golf uh, sometime soon. Reached out to Joe Madden. We're going to play golf at some point in the in early uh, in early December. Heading to Italy next week with my wife for two weeks. So, uh uh, 30 years of the making honeymoon for us, and we're looking forward to that. By the way, be very afraid of gags. Remember, we have learned that he, he bought a new oh, place, and it has a golf simulator in it. I know. He's down the street from me. I would be very – if he says, hey, you want to play for anything, say no. He's sandbagging <laughs> Well, Mike you. Trout, a couple of years ago, Trout got all the, all the coaches fitted for PXG and bought them PXG clubs down here in Phoenix. So – yeah, he's, he's locked and loaded. I know what I'm dealing with when I see Gags. He'll be smiling all the way to try to get into my wallet. Well, we'll be there for fantasy camp. We expect to see you and play you with will. you. I'll be out there for sure. We'll have some fun. Italy for how how many days are you going? Uh, two weeks. Oh, that's nice. Not quite, you know, becoming the mayor of Iceland like like Cody <laughs> did on his honeymoon. You mean, but, you mean uh, Cody taking a month, time a month off during the season? Good to be Cody. Yeah, well, I mean, the team was, was not performing well, so it was a good time to go. <laughs> well, enjoy the honeymoon. Tell your wife you. I said hello, and we'll see you in January. Well, we'll Sounds probably, great. We'll probably good talking ta- to you guys. We'll probably call you during the winter meeting, so. I'll be around. All right, buddy. Be well. The great Vince Catronio. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, and it's great to have him back on the A's Airwaves. The great Joe Madden is with us from Chicago as he has his new book out with Tom Verducci. How are you? I am well. I am. I'm a little cold in Chicago. We had a great, two great events yesterday, one at the Union League and one at Anderson's Bookstore in Downers Grove, so I'm having a good time. Well, I got to think when you're back in Chicago, I mean, the man that broke the mm-hmm. curse, it's got to be pretty special for you. 
It is. I mean, you're reminded constantly, and these people here are, uh, the way I could describe Chicagoans, they're both tough and sweet at the same time. I really enjoy my conversations. Uh, I'm going to head out the door in a little bit, and I'm certain I'll be stopped when I walk over to the mall here. Uh, just they, they, they're very grateful. Uh, they, they recap it, recount it so clearly. It means so much to them. I, and you just, you just got to stay open and listen, man. It, the people here are truly grateful, and I'm grateful for them. You know, you, you, the, the book, the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. You know, Tom Verducci, we've had him on the program many times. He's a brilliant writer. He's turned in to be such a great broadcaster, too. He's one of the top journalists in our game. Why did you guys come together? How did it go about? And when did you decide that you wanted to write a book? Well, we had, uh, first of all, I decided like in 2008, after we went through the series with the, with the uh, Rays, people were uh, approaching me, but I knew I did not have enough cachet built up. I didn't think it was the right time. Won the World Series in 16 and then concluded with the Cubs in 19. And I ran into Tom and I thought it to his intention. I said, what do you think about this? He was open to it, obviously. And we talked about premise and that would be the compare contrasting managing in the 1980s to present time. And then also the madnisms and it's like served out the head each chapter. So while wow, it was easy, I recorded about a hundred hours by, while I was riding a bicycle in, in Mesa, Arizona during the pandemic and sent it to him daily. And he would come back to me with direction and eventually turned out to this. And I know I picked the right guy. He is as brilliant as you, as you described. You know, it's so interesting about mm -hmm. your career. And I know we've talked about it before, but all the years in the minors, and then we got to know you when you were with Mike Sosha and all those great years with the Angels. And, and, and then, of course, the Rays, which was now changing baseball, a new way to play the game. Then you go to the historic Cubs, and now you're with a big market, big money team. So just talk about how in your career you've seen it all from the minors to the big market to the analytics. You've seen it all. I've been grateful for that. I think it's really important. Um, a lot of guys aren't doing that anymore. I mean, that's pretty much the way you had to do it back then. Um, and I still think it's the right way. This is not a guy that's 68, going to be 69 speaking right now. It's just the right way to do things. You need a base. You need a foundation. I had great mentors. For me, it was Bob Clear uh, at that particular time. Uh, Ron Plaza was the guy with the A's at that particular time. Um, there was uh, Guy Wellman with the Dodgers, Jimmy Snyder with the Cubs, Mr. Bob Kennedy with the Giants. I mean, all these guys were like pretty much that organization and how everything was taught. Uh, from the bottom up. And I loved it. I love Bob Clear was my mentor with the Angels. Of course, I had Marcel Action. I could go on and on. But these are the guys that helped me learn to think in regards to baseball and how to process my information, what I thought was important. And then eventually you get the opportunity to keep moving forward to the point where I do arrive in the big leagues. But I, I'm very grateful for that struggle and the fact that it took me so long to get here uh, because it, it does matter. It does matter. I have a, a more complete outlook. I was a scout also. So I'm grateful for all these things that permitted me to eventually get to the big leagues as a manager. Analytically speaking, I was doing that for Soch and Terry Collins and even Marcel prior to become, before it became popular. Didn't call it analytics, called it information. I was working off stat sheets and I would try to um, call it down to the point where it was presentable in the dugout. I used to post things on the wall. I mean like long legal size sheets of information that I would glean from from all kinds of stuff, scouting reports, um, just from stat sheets, from spray charts, uh, my own observation. And that would be on a dugout wall prior to every game. But I'm into it, absolutely into it. And um, uh, so when it came to the point where I got to the Rays, Andrew said, listen, 
I don't want you having to do all that stuff every day. Let's assign this to different people and we'll do it for you, which was great. But I still like doing my own work because once you write something down, you have a much greater chance of remembering it. So the more work you did on your own, the greater it stuck. So that's just a brief uh, background in regards to how it got to that point. And, uh, and yeah, it was when it got to the raise, it really blew up in a good way. Well, I mean, obviously, we're the organization that really made it all popular with the book Moneyball and then the movie with Brad Pitt and Billy Bean. So we've gone all through that. But I've told people like Branch Rickey back in the day with the Dodgers was basically using his form of analytics. This is not right. something that's new. But in my career, I've been very lucky, whether it's traveling in Major League Baseball. I worked in the NFL, also in the NBA. The one thing I do know, and I learned it more than ever was, you know, getting the relationship with Bob Melvin and really getting to know Bob and that people need to understand at, at, at the top level, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, there has to be the leader there. I always say there has to be the guy at the front of the bus, at the front of the plane, the guy that leads the ship. And I learned that being in a people business and being able to take care because these athletes, they got problems just like we do. They got problems on the field. They got problems off the field. Somebody has to be there. Somebody has to be the communicator. Bob Melvin obviously is one of the best in the business. I know it means a lot to you, the relationship with the players and everybody in the organization. It's like we're forgetting that we're in the community. You know, communication is a huge part of our business. Yeah, it's evolved to the point where people uh, pretty much only recognize uh, bullpen decisions. I mean, anytime you hear about criticism post-game, it's always about bullpen decisions. Yeah. And that is just a minute part of what occurs. And, and furthermore, bullpen decisions sometimes go awry because the other team's good too. Um, so that's, that's I think, par a product of how the game's reported, uh, whether it's through media purposes or even social media. It's always about bullpen guys who are held to an impossible standard of perfection. What it really comes down to is like you're uh, insinuating is that it's the relationships you build within the clubhouse, which communication, not only with your players, your coaches, your front office and your fan base. We have to do the media several times a day. And yeah, you're right. It, uh, the buck has to stop somewhere. Right. And whether it's the front of the bus, the front of the plane, and your description is right on um, this guy has to answer to all of these different moments. And that's it. I mean, I, again, I, I don't think it's uh, really, um, recognized enough or spoken about enough or understood enough, all that goes into managing a major league baseball club and what you do on a daily basis is much more deep than when to bring in the right uh, relief pitcher. You know, we're, we're getting the book. It's being sent to us and I can't wait cool, to read cool. it. And, you know, I'm going to tell a lot of our listeners that, you know, at this time of the year, Joe, we're looking for Christmas gifts, right? What do we give baseball fans? What to give people they don't have? It sounds like this book would be an ultimate Christmas gift. And one of the things that I think that's always been uh, that we've known about you, it's about helping people, just not your own players. That's just something that it's like a gift that you have. Talk about how you've always felt that you want to give back to people and help other people. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think we all, we all need to be in that uh, moment. Um, it's just something inbred of me from where I came from in Pennsylvania, my, my mom and my dad, my, the, the nuns that taught me the, the community that I was raised in. And I'm still there. I just, I just left there. I was just there for most, once I got let go by the angels, I was there the remaining of the summer. Um, yeah. It's all about that. It's all about giving back. It's all about, uh, passing it along, however you want to describe it. And, uh, so I'm very grateful that I, I received that, uh, whatever that, that thing within you that, that wants you to do that based by, uh, upon the people that I've been with before. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that's, that's very important to me. 
Uh, we have the foundation, the Respect 90 Foundation, and uh, it's got a pretty large umbrella. We started with primarily um, helping the homeless through Thanksgiving dinners. We've also then evolved into the Hazleton Integration Project. Back in Hazleton, we have our own building, the Hazleton Community Center. I just had a book signing there recently where we've attempted to uh, bring together the Hispanic and Anglo cultures within my hometown. In Chicago, where I'm at right now, we did a lot of boxing, youth boxing for the Crushers Club on the south side here and the city boxing, uh, youth boxing of Chicago. We raised over 500,000 bucks for them. Through that, we've done pediatric cancer stuff regarding shaving of our head in spring training. One year, <laughs> once one spring training, the Cubs, just the Cub players alone, in an hour donated, uh, I don't know, it was close to 100,000 bucks that eventually turned into a room at the Banner Health there in uh, Mesa where kids getting cancer treatment can go for their treatment and then post-treatment to get a gift. I mean, uh, it's a lot of stuff uh, that we, we've uh, uh, encountered and it's been very gratifying and I'm very fortunate that I was raised by the people that I was that makes me want to do things like this. Well, let's really bring it to life. Cody, my producer, Cody, come on here uh, and tell Joe how he's inspired you. Yeah, Joe. So I use a meditation app called Vision Pursue. And your quote, Try Not to Suck, has been a huge part of that since I started that in 2017. And one of your um, madnisms is about seeing everything with first time eyes and they say yeah. new eyes and that. So those are two things that I've lived by for the last five years. And the Try Not to Suck pops up every once in a while as a daily visionary thing and i love that quote i tell people all the time i tell my wife about it so um i just want to thank you for putting that quote out there and in, in, in the app for using it because it, it's meant a lot to me the last five years thanks cody and, and just to expand upon that i appreciate that um within the book i talked about the comparing and contrasting of managing from the 80s to present day the other part is all the madnisms each each chapter begins with something like that um uh see with first time eyes feel with first time passion uh, tell me what you think know what you've heard um, uh, try not to suck is, is one of them. Embrace the target. Uh, uh, whatever you put out there comes back to you. All these things. I wanted it to be more than just a baseball book. I wanted to apply to personal life on a daily basis. And you're validating that. And I appreciate that code. I, I, um, it's something that's very important to me. I didn't want it just to be little Joey grew up on 11th street and played baseball. Then eventually went to the Cubs. And they won the World Series. So don't forget uh, heard, football. You played a little quarterback back in the day, I believe. That's how I got to college, man. Uh, Pennsylvania high school, Friday night lights, man. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Uh, first game started against Berwick when I was a sophomore. That's a moment you'll never forget. And that's how I got to Lafayette College because of that. Then eventually it morphed into a baseball career. And then it turned into Maddenisms. And now I'm here talking to you guys. Uh, it's a very, uh, it's been a wonderful ride to this point. I wanted to continue. Uh, but I, I built up uh, different thoughts, philosophies along the way, and that's part of why I wanted to do this book to pass that stuff along also. Yeah, well, let's end on this. My, my old head coach at San Jose State just went into the uh, San Jose Hall of Fame, won a lot of games, got us into the College World Series, and he was all about keeping things simple. He always used the KISS mm -hmm. system, keep it simple, right. stupid. And your madnisms are all very simple, but simple – really reaches everybody. Why is that so key to keep it simple in your teachings? Yeah, mine do simple better. That's that's what I came up with a couple of years ago. Why? Because everybody believes an answer to a question needs to be convoluted or complicated. And and people fail to just real to realize just reduce, reduce, reduce and get this to the simplest form. Get it to that nugget that makes most sense to me that could remind me about all of these different layers or factors about whatever it is I'm trying to attack or get better at. 
So I've, I did the do simple better approach um, in a hot moment in a baseball game. As an example, you cannot, you're not going to recall your, your body should be on autopilot at that point. But if you get out there on the mound, if you're in the batter's box and, and things get a little bit quicker, you're just bad pitch or a bad swing, whatever you have to have a nugget and you have to have something to go to the breath as your anchor, whatever it takes. And it's a simple thing, but, uh, we've been taught to think that the answers have to be complex or convoluted. I'm exactly the opposite. Well, word on the street is the golf game's pretty good. It's getting better. And that is, that's, there's a perfect example. One swing thought, right elbow tuck, that's it. That's it. That's all I'm at right now. And I've gone through everything all summer. I can't sit here and talk to you right now and watch TV simultaneously and give both uh, all my attention. You've got to focus on one thing at a time and preferably something small, not something large and complicated. Well, the book of Joe, try not to suck at a baseball at baseball and life. I can tell you, we will pump this and try and sell as many as possible. Like I said, I think it will make a great Christmas gift. Uh, You're a treasure in our game. You've been good to us over the years. I hope you manage again, but if not, there's so much that you can do in life and helping people, but it's an honor to have you on the program. Good luck with everything and have great holidays. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, It's it's really an honor. My best everybody out West. I'm going to be in Arizona soon, and then maybe I'll get up to uh, the, the, the Bay Area to do some signing in the near future. But again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 